You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 601. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 5th of January, 2024. In today's episode, a fiery runway collision in Japan. No survivors from a flight that stalled just before landing short of the runway in Nepal. Also ahead, more news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 601 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 93.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a former U.S. Air Force UPT instructor pilot, starlifter pilot, retired Boeing 727-717 and Mad Dog captain for Delta Airlines. It's nice to be able to say that now. And uh, joining us today... From his West Coast studio, world traveler, airplane mechanic, dog rescue volunteer, fitness hound, and international air freight captain, it's Miami Rick. Hey, everybody. Hey, so you, uh, so you did apply for Delta. I, I had a sneaky... Yeah. No, that's you know, weird, huh? All, all these years, I couldn't put two and two together. But hey, happy to be back. Happy 24, everybody. We have a lot to talk about, so let's get this one rolling. Let's do it. And also joining us... For the fun and festivities from his studio. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A333 40 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi, Jeff, and look, it's Rick. Rick! Yay! Lovely to see you again, Rick. <laughs> Uh, welcome back for the next 100 shows so we get to 700. That'll be brilliant. <laughs> All right. And also joining us from her studio in Toronto, retired financier, aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. What a way to kick off the new year with Ricky here. Yay. And it's so I'm so happy that I'm here with all my best friends. So I can't wait to Absolutely. cover some news. Hey, let's bring it down and uh, cover cover some news. What do you think? I think so. You bet. All right. To that. Bye, guys. Stand by for news. All right, we start off with this, no surprise, uh, from uh, Aviation Herald. 
a Japan Airlines Airbus A350-900 registration JA-13XJ performing flight 516 from Sapporo to Tokyo Haneda with uh, 367 passengers, 12 crew, landed on Haneda's runway 34 right at 1747 local time uh, in night conditions, but collided with a Japanese Coast Guard Dash uh, A300 registration Juliet Alpha 722 Alpha uh, on the runway shortly after touchdown and burst into flames. The A350 came to a stop off the right-hand edge of the runway, about 1,680 meters, 5,510 feet down the runway, and was evacuated. All occupants were able to evacuate. The other aircraft, carrying six people, also burst into flames. Five of the six occupants are confirmed dead. Both aircraft burned down. Fifteen passengers of the A350 received injuries. Uh, the captain of the Dash 8 received serious injuries, I believe uh, severe burn injuries, and the aircraft fires were extinguished about eight hours after the collision. The airline reported their A350 was carrying 367 passengers, which we just mentioned, uh, eight children, 12 crew, all of them evacuated from the aircraft. And in the second press release, the airline reported that there had been no anomaly with the aircraft prior to departure. The crew had received a redback landing clearance after the collision and coming to a standstill. Three emergency slides were used to evacuate the occupants of the aircraft. The details of the accident are under investigation by the JTSB. Uh, the Coast Guard Dash uh, 8 was about to launch for a maritime uh, mission uh, due to the tsunamis triggered by the recent earthquake, you know, earthquakes, I guess. And um, yeah, so I do uh, have some some uh, video that uh, shows a little bit of this event. I'm sure that all of you watching, listening to us right now have already seen this for a few, a few times, but uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, play it anyways. Let me turn down the volume a little bit. It's just a uh, closed circuit television cam on the uh, on the ramp, uh, pointed in the direction of the approach end of runway three four right, and coming into view on the right side of the frame, uh, you can see some lights landing or yeah landing lights for the A three fifty. It touches down, and then just momentarily we'll see the. Uh, collision and the fireball resulting from the collision and this particular CCTV camera um, basically uh, focuses on where the collision occurred with the uh, dash 8 and uh, they end up zooming in uh, at, a, at a certain point but what I'm going to do is I'm going to switch to the next um, uh, view and this one has a better shot and perspective of the A350 as it's sliding through. And it's also, this is from a local Japanese uh, television station, uh, ANN News, and they've compiled a bunch of uh, different uh, video uh, or videos. Uh, this one taken by a passenger sitting on the right side, looking at the right wing after the collision. And um, let me see, I'm going to go ahead and advance this a little bit, and we can kind of see what was happening inside the cabin of the uh, Japan Airlines flight. 
Now we're inside the, um, the cabin of the 350. And I'm just, I have to say, guys, I'm astonished at how the, the restraint and the discipline of these passengers just sitting there waiting for instructions from the flight attendants. Uh, I think that that may be a, a big factor in why every single passenger got off of this airplane alive. There were some injuries, as mentioned before, but uh, most of the passengers were off the airplane uninjured. And uh, reports that I'd read from various sources said that uh, immediately the uh, purser at the uh, front of the airplane uh, went and contacted the pilots through the cockpit um, door directly uh, because I think the intercom uh, system had been disabled uh, and uh, alerted them to the fact that there was a fire outside and received permission to initiate the uh, evacuation procedure for the two uh, do the uh, escape doors and the, in the front, the two front doors, uh, L1 and R1. Um, back in the back, uh, because of the fact that there was no way to communicate with anybody else uh, in the front of the airplane, uh, the flight attendants went ahead and initiated uh, the, uh, I guess that would be the L4 uh, door the door in the back on the left side uh, because on the right side they were seeing some signs of uh, fire over there so they uh, started or initiated the evac the evacuation from that door as well I just want to um, repeat what I've been um, hearing all you know over the course of these last couple of days since this accident happened just commend the cabin crew for an amazing amazing job um yeah, it's uh, it's it's just a testament to the fact that uh, they are there indeed for our safety and not just to pass drinks and make us comfortable, which is why it is paramount that uh, we pay, you know, no matter how many times we've been on an airplane, pay attention to their uh, briefing because there might be things uh, that we might miss, uh, and if, particularly if it's a new a new type of aircraft for us, like for me. I just flew on a 350 for the first time a couple couple days ago, and so um, uh, you know it, you might be a seasoned uh, traveler, but uh, it, it it always behooves you to to pay attention to this because it might you know as this proves um, uh, save save your life. Uh, that's that's what I have on the on the cabin crew. Um, there's a couple things that I do want to touch on uh, technical um, uh, technically uh, on the technical aspect of of, of the of the conversation here. Um, but I can touch on that a little bit later um, after you know, Nixter uh, comes in and uh, chimes in. Yeah, I, I just want to reiterate that, Nick, um, Rick. The, um, the crew, uh, it took them about 18 minutes to get everyone off. Uh, and by rights, uh, you're certified to get, uh, using half the exits, uh, the whole lot of passengers off in 90 seconds. Um, and that is a target. And obviously, you could see from those uh, couple of clips of that video there, I have no doubt that uh, the vast majority of able-bodied passengers were off that airplane in the appropriate time. 
uh, using the available uh, exits. Brilliant job. Um, the other thing was that there you could see that there were some passengers with either very young or they were quite elderly that would have needed assistance. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, that is always going to mean that the very last passenger off is going to be a little bit behind everyone else. So I just want to, you know, make that obvious that uh, I, I'm not... The fact that it took, in theory, 18 minutes to get everyone doesn't detract from the skill uh, and uh, expertise of the cabin crew. I love the fact that the rear uh, passenger door crew that are manning those doors initiated their own evacuation uh, because that requires you know a lot of courage from their point of view because uh, they're getting no instruction they they weren't able to communicate with anyone at the forward end of the aircraft where the obviously the flight deck crew and their senior cabin crew were so they had to make their own decision and they made an entirely correct decision to uh, get their passengers off the back of the aircraft, which I think is fantastic. Um, I love the fact that the passengers didn't immediately all leap to their feet and uh, block the aisles. They didn't start opening the uh, overhead bins to try and rummage through to grab stuff. They just waited for instructions, and when they were given, they obeyed them. And golly, in our society today, I can hardly imagine a situation where people um, made such a major contribution towards their own safety. Uh, I think in most Western countries, you would have seen people yelling and saying, what's going on? And why are you asking me to do this and arguing uh, when the last thing you need in this kind of a situation is that. Um, I have read a comparison uh, between the um, survivability of uh, this carbon composite uh, aircraft and uh, more traditional aluminium-skinned aircraft uh, and um, read that the certification uh, is uh, and the tests they've done both by Boeing and Airbus who have the Dreamliner has an equivalent fuselage makeup um, means that the aircraft are as far fire retardant as an old-fashioned aluminum aircraft. Um, in fact, the outer skin has a tendency to char, which provides a kind of protection against for the inner portions of the skin. But of course, once the uh, interior of the aircraft actually catches the light, as eventually it will, uh, then of course the fire is going to accelerate around the inside of the aircraft and that is why we have to evacuate promptly. Um, but it was interesting to see the effect. Uh, but both aircraft will eventually, aluminium will catch fire, mm. um, um, but it needs a little more temperature than um, carbon fibre, uh, carbon composites. Uh, it, very, very uh, interesting. So pleased that everyone got out. Uh, distraught for the Dash 8 crew. Um, and, of course, uh, I know we're going to come on to uh, probable causes, but uh, I feel, I really feel for the one survivor uh, of that uh, um, Dash 8 who was the captain um, because, of course, he is going to carry, he would anyway have carried the weight of responsibility of 
the actions of his crew uh, on his shoulders. But now as the sole survivor, it's going to feel doubly uh, bad for him. So I think whilst we will probably correctly apportion an element of blame eventually, certainly once the findings are out, I think we just need to bear in mind that this pilot, this captain is going to live with this crash in his head forever. And it's likely that uh, many of you have heard that it took some 18 minutes before everybody was safely off the aircraft. And this article says the yet-to-be-released preliminary report from Japanese and European investigators is likely to provide clarity on the timestamps of key events immediately after the collision. Notably, the airline reported that the last crew member left the A350 some 18 minutes after the initial crash, though it is not clear how soon after the accident the evacuation was initiated. That's far beyond the 90-second requirement. And, uh, the you know, you can look at it two ways. Why did it take so long? 18 minutes is unacceptable. Or even with 18 minutes take, taking too long, everyone on board was saved. Uh, but anyway, that, that was not what I was going to say. I found another uh, source that said that I think most everybody was off of the jet within about eight minutes after the collision. Uh, the captain um, was uh, going through the cabin, and I always brief this with my first officers or flight crew, that I'll be the last one off the jet because, you know, the old saying, the captain always goes down with the ship. Exactly. And I always say to my first officer, after we've completed our evacuation checklist, you go outside and, and help and aid with the evacuation and start getting people to gather together and away from the jet at a certain location. I'm going to stay on the airplane. I'm going to make sure that every single person, every passenger is off of this airplane before I leave the airplane. And that's exactly what this captain did. And I was uh, noticing some stuff on social media where they were saying, you know, what a brave hero and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, yeah, well, he was a brave man. However, I believe it's the duty and responsibility and obligation for the captain to stay on the airplane until all passengers are off off the jet. So, um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to touch on, on one thing here. Uh, and uh, Nick uh, mentioning the fact that the, uh, the, the cabin crew and the aft portion of the aircraft uh, began the um, – the evacuation uh, of their own accord. Well, absolutely, that that was absolutely the right thing to do. Um, I don't know how it works uh, for uh, for Delta or Virgin Atlantic, but uh, on our um, passenger operations, which we do have, you know, you know we, we do operate quite a bit of those, uh, both on the charter side and the um, air, Mobil air mobility command side for the military. Um, part of our briefing and what I include to the briefing in the briefing to the to the cabin crew, the flight attendants, is that if they don't hear from me within 15 seconds and it's actually written in the book in the manual if they don't if they don't hear from me from the captain in 15 seconds then they are in fact to begin the evacuation without my directive um uh because of this uh, you know the, the 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 public address or the intercom system might very well have gotten um um uh you know severed uh, the, the communication line severed and it's impossible for me to talk to the people in the back and so they have to know that uh if i can't talk to them they have to begin the evacuation on their own and that's absolutely and that, the right thing to do that that is that's what um i think standard operating procedures are for most airlines now mm -hmm. is that you know if you haven't heard within a certain time frame whatever that time frame is then go ahead and if in your opinion that it's the safest thing to do uh, as far as evacuation then do it absolutely Good, good point. Hey, so you might be wondering, you know, we really haven't yet discussed what the heck happened here. How did 
a Dash 8 show up on the center line of a runway that an Airbus A350 is about to land on. And uh, they have released the transcript of the uh, uh, tower and aircraft communications. And uh, let's see, they started with um, the uh, Japan Air 516 uh, on approach for runway 34 right, continue approach. Uh, and then they said the winds were 3207. Uh, we have departure. There was a previous uh, Japan Air, I think Flight 25, that it was in the midst of its takeoff roll during this communication. Uh, the uh, Japan Air flight uh, said continue approach 34 right. And then there was a communication with a Delta jet uh, on the ground, uh, was, which is not significant. Um, and then uh, the Japan Airlines 516 uh, received this communication from tower, runway 34 right, clear to land, uh, wind 310 at 8. And then they read back, clear to land, runway 34 right, Japan Air 516. And then the Coast Guard flight comes on and says uh, JA722 Alpha on Charlie. And then uh, tower says, good evening, number one, taxi to holding point, Charlie 5. Again, what he said was taxi to holding point, Charlie 5. And then they read back, uh, taxi to holding point, Charlie 5, uh, JA722 Alpha, number one. Thank you. Uh, Tokyo Tower, Tower um, also tells another Japan Air flight to proceed to holding point, Charlie 1. Um, and then uh, that was really the uh, end of the significant communication with the two jets that were involved in this crash. So what they surmise happened is instead of stopping at holding point Charlie 5, they ended up, and I'm going to go ahead and put some uh, video up here, Liz, that kind of illustrates it a little bit. Uh, here we go. Um, again, this is from ANN News in Japan, Tokyo, uh, where they have this full-scale mock -up. By the way, I have to say, the, the journalists at this station are doing an amazing job of getting things right in their coverage of this accident, which sadly I can't really say that much about uh, in our country anyway. Um, so uh, they have these models and they see we see in this the start of this video uh, the uh, Japan uh, 350 coming in and we see that instead of stopping at the Charlie 5 holding point, the Coast Guard Dash 8 continued onto the runway, lined up with the center line of the runway, uh, some thousand feet or so uh, beyond where the A350 was just about to touch down. And let me see if I can get this uh, going a little bit here. Now, so he's showing the uh, 350 touching down and then hitting the uh, horizontal stabilizer of the Dash 8. And I'd like to stop it right there because I included some imagery in our um, Evernote uh, note showing some of the dimensions of the uh, Dash 8 and the uh, 350. And it turns out that the horizontal stab of the Dash 8 300 is at 20.28 feet or something like that above the ground. And the, uh, here, let me refer to that just to make sure I get that right. Um, looks like, uh, no, 24 feet 7 inches is the 
is the height of the uh, of the horizontal stabilizer, and the cockpit windows of the 350 are at uh, let's see what is it Charlie one I had this uh, 20.28 feet uh, or 6.18 meters, and so I'm thinking uh, the if the 350 had uh, derotated completely. I think that that tail would have gone right through the cockpit windows, and this would have been a tragedy for the pilots on board this flight. But I would imagine they were probably still uh, in, you know, the nose wheel wasn't completely down, and they were still mm-hmm. at a at a positive deck yeah. angle when they hit the thing. So in I just fact, thought that I was noticed kind of from one of the early pictures uh, that there was a cut in the center of the radium radome mm-hmm. that extended back beyond because the radome was missing and you can just see it in this yep, picture it now that it extends just at the level of the sort of cockpit floor and i was wondering at the time if that was the trailing edge of either uh the wing didn't think so but the tailplane yeah. would be the likely um corporate so it was so lucky jeff i think it was a matter of feet uh but between yeah. that being being absorbed the impact being absorbed by the radome and the the forward fuselage as opposed to coming through the cockpit windows. Yeah, the interviews with the pilots said that of the 350 that uh, they never, ever saw the Dash 8 at all. And some people think, well, why Why is that? Why can you not see an airplane that's clearly on the runway? Well, uh, Rick, uh, maybe you can help us figure figure that out. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Um, so I... I I landed in in uh, LAX the the day before this happened, and uh, I had some glide slip issues of my own, but you know, that's beside the point. But anytime when I anyway when I broke out of the uh, of the cloud deck at about 500 feet, um, I acquired a visual with the runway there. Um, the thought went through my mind. Remember that accident back in '91? It was a 737 that uh, yep. ran into the back of a of a swearing in Metro. Yep. I thought about that and I was like, oh man. Um, and I immediately went down to my navigation display and and, and looked at my TCAS, my TCAS traffic collision avoidance system. Now it is part of um standard operating procedure to turn the TCAS to TA traffic advisory, RA resolution advisory before you cross into the active runway. Uh not because the systems are going to talk to each other and if there's a conflict it's going to tell the aircraft that's landing behind you to go around that's not how a system works because it's 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 um uh, inhibited below a certain altitude but you will be able yep exactly you will be able to see it on your navigation display if the um scale is appropriate which it should be at that point uh and so uh but 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 to your point uh, jeff no at, at night uh it's very very difficult to see uh, an airplane with all the light pollution in the in the environment and that in that dark environment and and also you know keeping in keeping in mind that you're moving at about 180 knots ground speed um which is you know things happen very 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 fast at that speed and so yeah it's and also, if, if you look at an airplane from behind, all you really you're, all you really are going to have is 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 a couple of just just white lights. Because remember, the green and the red lights on the wingtips are only visible in the front, and that's supposed to give you an idea of of the direction of travel from the airplane from the, from your target. But from behind, you only see the white lights, and you should be able to see a, a, a white strobe as well. And the anti collision should be on the, one on the top, one at the bottom of the fuselage. But with all the light pollution 
everything going on so fast, it's really, really hard to see. So um, really, well, your your ace in the hole there is the TCAS on your navigation display. Yeah, we only have to look at uh, that incident that very nearly ended up in the tragedy of the Air Canada aircraft lining up on the taxiway mm-hmm. at uh, San Francisco. And he there were three or four aircraft pointing towards him. So they mm. had much more illumination on their aircraft. And they're exactly. only on a taxiway, which is not as brightly lit as the runway. And yet he failed to appreciate that there were aircraft in front of him uh, and Till it would have been probably too late had he not been uh, ordered to initiate a go-around. So I agree entirely, Rick. And in fact, it makes me think that there are perhaps two things that might come out of this incident. We might get an upgrade to uh, our TCAS that uh, gives uh, an, an, some form of warning, uh, even for aircraft on the ground. Right. Uh, and there might be a change to aircraft lighting. Uh, in that, you know, um, there might be a directional uh, beacon available that points back up the uh, glide slope uh, when you're on the runway, uh, perhaps one forward, one after, I don't know, I'm uh, just thinking uh, on my feet here, that um, flashes different colours or something that gives some sort of more... um, attractive indication to the uh, an aircraft that is landing that there is an obstruction on the runway uh, when it could be otherwise absorbed by all those runway lights. I've seen there are certain airplanes out there um, that actually have this kind of a lighting setup, not exactly the way you described it, but is, is such that it's, it's angled at three degrees, you know, from the tail upward. So it is something that you can see if you're coming in for a landing if somebody's on the runway. And I think you're right. I think it should be something that's required for all yeah. airplanes to have and something that will, you know, differentiate it between yeah. all the other. I mean, when you land in an airplane uh, at an airport at night, especially a big airport, trust me, there are lights all over. It's, it's really yeah. pretty, but it's confusing <laughs> to make <laughs> heads and tails of all of it. And, and mm. speaking of lighting, by the way, they do have a system there at Haneda, uh, they have stop bar lights uh, at the intersections of, tax, of the taxiways and the runway. It just so happens, though, uh, as of December 25th, they issued a notum that said stop bar lights for uh, holding points Charlie 1 through Charlie 14 are unserviceable. Um, mm. They that you know it may have been one of those things. That uh, they... I mean, absolutely confirmation bias. I mean, you see, you see the and, and you know what? I do not, I do not blame the pilots of the of the Japanese aircraft at all because uh, I I was I was in Japan a couple weeks ago, um, and the, the Japanese are very good at this. They're very good at condensing and giving you the notams that are um, pertinent to your operation for that day. And for, and for the period of time where you're going to be operating in and out of, of, of whatever airport, right? So there, there's other places where, Oh my goodness, it's, it's like you're reading a freaking novel every time you go to work. Um, yes. so they're, they're very good at that. They're very, very good at that indeed. Uh, but a lot of these notams get buried in, in, in just in, in the writing. And it's, it's kind of hard. If you're not looking methodically and carefully, you could miss something like this, um, very, very easily. That's one thing the other thing, um, and I don't think well. There's air, there's airports around the world that has them absolutely, but I can't think of an airport in Japan because I've been to Nagoya, I've been to Haneda, I've been to Nari, I've been to a bunch of airports there. 
But I can't think of an airport in Japan that has a system that we use quite a bit here in the States called the um, uh, runway status light system. Mm-hmm. Um, and off the top of my head, Miami's got it, BWI's got it. So basically what that does is that whenever an airplane, and this is in, you know, uh, independent of air traffic control, this is an, uh, 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 just an autonomous system that works basically on its own logic. Um, when an airplane taxi into the runway, the runway lights are like the actual runway lights in the so the the touchdown zone lights are going to turn red um and that is going to jump out at you you know and it's it's really interesting because i've been on holding position at uh, bwi at at baltimore washington airport and there's a crossing runway and i can while i'm holding for takeoff clearance and i can see the airplane you know down the runway crossing my active runway for the period of time that the airplane goes from left to right or, li- or right to left, whatever it was, I can see the runway lights going red for that period of time and then turning back off to let me know that the runway is in fact clear. So uh, there are systems out there that are mm-hmm. designed entirely to, to, to prevent this kind of issue. They should be installed. I know they're expensive, but they should be installed mm-hmm. at every commercial airline used airport Everywhere. Charlotte Douglas International, by the way, um, is uh, one of those airports that has that system. And it's Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great system. It really is. Yeah, it it is good. But I note this guy attacks it on at Charlie 5, which is an intersection for an intersection departure. And he he might have been out of the coverage of those lights, Rick, at the point at which he entered the runway. So I don't know. Well, no, but the lights that turn red are the touchdown zone lights. Uh, yeah, so, so the so, the, so the, Japan the Airbus might have seen them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but whether he would have been in front of them or, or or have them behind him or not, I don't know. Yeah, and a certain point, uh, it also looks at airplanes coming in on a certain point on uh, short final, to, mm-hmm. and then things will light up as well. So, uh, but your point is well taken. They may have already yeah. crossed it by the time that that would have acted. But I I also say, and we talk about this all the time. Communication is so important. Thankfully, the communication between the tower and the respective airplanes was seems like it was perfect. Um, the problem, uh, you know, we we try to talk about you know building this mental picture of what's happening based on what you're hearing, and in this case, turns out that that wasn't something that helped, you know, keep this tragedy from occurring because uh, the the it sounds like the uh, dash eight went ahead and um, inst- even though he was told holding point, he went ahead and I guess he thinks he heard that he was cleared for takeoff. In this in the interview with him, the transcripts say that no, he received takeoff clearance. So in his he mind, he did, yeah, exactly yeah. right. Uh, and just going back to aircraft lighting, of course, the regulations are ancient. Uh, they really are. Uh, they're and, not. Um, I mean, they're nautical. I mean, going back to yeah. to, to the days of uh, of, of absolutely. Of so I I think uh, you know the 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 strength of the navigation lights, uh, the positioning, etc., is all very old fashioned. And I think it's probably time that uh, the world. Uh, Ikea or somebody with some power looked at the whole thing and made sure that the aircraft were. We might have had a running rabbit down the top of the fuselage by now. You know what I mean? That uh, sequence mm-hmm. light of strobes, no. that sort of thing. We've got the technology. It's easy to do. We just yeah. need the will to uh, make our aircraft more visible. Yeah. Um, in our live audience, we're 
having some good discussion there. Um, main man Micah says a series of orange strobes that function sort of like a turn signal on a car that makes it look like it's moving from left to right, in this case, from tail to nose in the direction of travel. Yeah, something like and that's that. That's an idea. Or uh, the Sultan of Wings mentions that this is Brad in the Charlotte area. Have you noticed how bright the red beacons are on a 787? You can see them for miles. I do believe that the new lighting is better or is getting they, better. They, so. they are indeed because uh, we're going from a lot of incandescent uh, light bulb type technology to LED type technology. Yeah. And, uh, and and you know what? I've I've seen them in, in runway lighting systems, uh, LED yeah, lights. Well, now, now I see them in, in Pappy lightings and it's just great. I remember... I used to be able to uh, at, during you know at daytime when when it's glary out. Used to be able to pick up a pappy maybe five miles out. Mm. Nowadays with these new LED pappies, I tell you. Oh yeah, 15, I know what this guy's going to say right here. When when Captain Nick was still fl actively flying, was around the time that they were starting to introduce these LED uh, replacement yeah. lightings, and and it was like it was either off or completely on full bright. <laughs> See, were, and we at airline pilots, we <laughs> complained and complained and complained. It's and like, finally, it's like my, they, my little Belgian Malinois. She's got two modes: on or off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and we said that's very out. true. It's very because, true. That's just what I was going to say. But I was going to say that. Uh, now the runway lighting is so bright, it matches these new bright strobes that we've got on the aircraft. So we've right? gone from having dim lights blocking out dim lights to bright lights blocking out bright lights. So mm -hmm. I don't know if we're any better off. I will say they right. have fixed the brightness problem on the uh, LED lighting. They, they have figured out a way to dim it and not be completely, you know, blinding. Uh, main man Micah says, I thought that when Captain Nick started flying, they were starting to introduce electric lights instead of kerosene Oh, yeah, lights. I remember those old goosenecks. <laughs> don't, don't, you know, I, I've been through the whole strata. That, that, you know, that act, that actually happened. I had a, uh, I had, oh, when I first started flying the 7.6, well, 20-something years ago, I had um, a, a uh, my simulator and instructor, he was one of the most senior captains in the airline. He just retired. He started in the airline flying DC-3s back in, you know, the days of the Wright brothers. And uh, he, he tells a story of um, a, an evening flight to Easter Island in the middle of nowhere where they had an electrical failure. And this 707 at that time had gone past the point of no return, so they didn't have enough fuel to make it back to Santiago. So they had to figure out a way to light the runway and, you know, to, to eighth as their craft and landing. And that's exactly what they did. They lit up a bunch of uh, kerosene lamps down the length of the runway, sporadically here and there, <laughs> and it. that's how they got it. Uh, that's how they, they wow. got it landed. Yeah. Right? I love Whatever it. it takes, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Speaking but, uh, of Charlotte, yeah, I was talking about Charlotte just a few moments ago about their uh, lighting system, and oh, look, wait, it's it's Dr. Steph. Uh, hey let's see, from her lakeside studio in South. Of course, we all know that she's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper. Hello, Dr. Steph. Welcome. Hey, Captain Jeff. Glad to be here. And I'm glad I can actually talk and produce sound and volume this week. Uh, yeah. Suffering with the whatever has been going around for like grunge. endless, the grunge, as Liz says. <laughs> yeah, that's about, that's an accurate <laughs> description of it for uh, weeks on end now, so... Fortunately, feeling much better today. Past couple of days have been the first few days I felt like pretty close to normal. A little congestion, a little cough here and there. So apologies in advance if any of that kind of uh, sneaks its way into the the microphone. But um, yeah, great to see you all and well, welcome back, Rick. It's been you've been a while. listening to our discussion of 
of uh, our uh, number one news item, the uh, crash in Haneda. Uh, anything to add, Steph? No, I think you guys, I mean, uh, you guys did an excellent job covering that. I think we've touched on all the salient well, points and information that's available <laughs> so far. You know, um, uh, there's always a lot of points of consideration. And, you know, I think in this case, it's going to be uh, known relatively, you know, sooner rather than later, hopefully, the factors that contributed to this particular collision. So, um, like you said, great job by cabin crew of uh, the Japan Airlines getting everyone off safely um, in whatever time that took. Um, Lots of data to be had, I think, from the, you know, whole loss loss itself with the carbon fiber stuff. Um, And, you know, certainly uh, thoughts and prayers for the the folks on the Dash 8 and their families and and loved ones. So I, I don't have a whole lot more to add. It was a great discussion. Glad I could listen to it. I do have to add one more thing. And I didn't mean to cast aspersions on all journalists here in the United States when it comes to aviation. Of course, our own Radio Roger, who is both a TV and radio reporter, uh, award-winning, I should add, uh, he gets it right. He he is one of the few <laughs> that do. So I just wanted to make sure you didn't think I was, uh, you know, dissing you, Roger. So make sure that was on the record. <laughs> it is on the record. Note it. Yeah. Moving on. All right. Well, it's time for us to move on then to our next item from the Aviation Herald as well. Uh, this is, uh, is it pronounced Tindy? Uh, Tindy, yep. Okay. Tindy, yep. Um, a, an Air Tindy de Havilland DHC-6300 Twin Otter, or we like to f- refer to it as a twatter, uh, on skis. Registration, Charlie Golf Mike Alpha Sierra performing charter flight 601 from Margaret Lake uh, Northern Territories to Lac de Gras. Um, Northern Territories in Canada. Northwest Territories. Northwest. What did I say? Oh, yeah. Northwest Territories. That's it. That's the one I meant. Um, So I guess I have to uh, do this. Not the bell. Um, Let's see. Eight passengers, two crew, was forced to land about uh, 16 kilometers southeast of Dyavik Diamond Mine. Uh, There were two serious and six minor injuries. The aircraft received substantial damage. NORAD reported two people had received moderate to serious injuries. Six received minor injuries when the aircraft went down about... Okay, we just talked about that. Um, Rescue helicopter was dispatched to the accident site, provided the occupants with needed supplies and medical support. The occupants are to be flown out the following day. And this is back in late December. Uh, Canada's National Defense Joint Rescue Center reported a Hercules C-130 was able to drop three parachuters and supplies to the survivors. Oh, jump, uh, a Hercules jumper-dumper uh, in the evening of December 27th, despite poor weather conditions. The occupants were able to spend the night in heated tents. The two more severe, severely injured showed signs of improvement. A helicopter reached the site the following day and is estimated to be uh, to fly the occupants of the uh, Twin Otter out. Um, let's see, the airline reported the aircraft was privately chartered. The reason for the forced landing is unknown at this time. Now, uh, Liz is our Canadian correspondent. Have you heard any updates to this uh, No, I looked accident? today, Jeff, nothing yet. Okay, nothing, nothing yet, yet uh, that she's heard regarding this. Now, um, I'd heard or read somewhere that the the location of the actual crash was kind of very, very close to the intended 
uh, point of landing. Uh, and it's possible people were surmising that the weather conditions, and we don't have the METARs uh, because it's not a, a regularly, you know, maintained kind of a airport or anything. But uh, they said that it could have been blowing snow and blizzard conditions, possibly white out. Who knows that they just lost yeah, sight. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, obviously we don't have that information. Um, that it was notable that in this article, we don't have any of that weather information. If you look at the right. map, pretty remote area where they were working. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a maintained strip where they were planning to land or if it was just um, kind of some bush style flying where you're going to land your skis on a, um, you know, the Twin Otter is pretty capable. It's got really great um, stall capabilities. It doesn't need a lot of space for landing and takeoff, especially if it's fairly lightly loaded. I think they were going to support winter road construction and not a lot of uh, passengers on the Twin Otter. Um, eight is not not a lot. So um, easy to get in and out of kind of remote sites. Um, but yeah, I just wonder if the weather was um, poorer than they expected and, and may have led to this. But Well, Simon's covering it. I'm sure that if there are any updates to the story, we're going to cover it ourselves. All right. Uh, again, the next item from the Aviation Herald uh, is a final report on the crash that we covered. Uh, it occurred January 15th, so about almost a year ago, just under a year ago, in um, uh, Pokhara and, uh, let's see, a Yeti Airlines ATR-72 uh, they were performing flight 691 from Kathmandu to Pokhara in Nepal. 68 passengers, four crew. They were on final approach. Pokhara's International Airport's runway 12 when the aircraft stalled, impacted the ground between the old Pokhara and the new Pokhara International Airport, fell into a ravine and burst into flames. Now, we, we kind of covered this pretty thoroughly, and I think that in the preliminary report, they were basically you know, citing the fact that they think that the there was an error made, I think, by the first officer. Instead of moving the flaps to 30, uh, they uh, the first officer instead moved the the propeller levers uh, to... Yeah, condition levers, yeah. yeah. Condition yeah. levers. Now, Steph, um, I know you don't fly the ATR, whatever this was, 72. 72. Um, so I don't know. You may or may not know. But are, are, th- are those two controls like pretty close you know, to each other on my, the center my recollection is that we did actually pull up a picture of what the yeah. pedal still looks like or where all the, oh, yeah, the yeah. various uh, surface uh, surfaces are where you do those control movements and um i think they are adjacent to each other the flap mm-hmm. lever and the uh, propeller uh lever the condition lever so you know if you're if it's a high workload environment if um you know this is actually something that we talk about in brief because um you know, we're doing so many takeoffs and landings in a day. Um, it's very easy to get into your routine and your hand goes to where you think it's going and you go through the motions and you move the wrong the, the wrong lever. So instead of the flaps, you got the prop. And for whatever reason, they didn't notice, I suppose, or didn't notice in time that the propellers were in feather, which is a little strange. Think, because So the captain did mention several mm-hmm. times in the transcripts that there's no power. Or they're, you know, where is the power? And they right. kept advancing the power levers up as far as, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Um, yeah. Is Nick, are you trying to say something or are you talking to something? No, yeah, a little theory here. Uh, I'm first of all going to defend all first officers out there by saying actually the flight deck crew were both captains. 
Uh, so uh, there's you've got your a problem in the left seat. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> is, that is indeed the problem. <laughs> oh man! Who is being checked out by a check captain in the right? Yeah, instructor yeah. captain in the right seat. Okay, and right, the I captain in the left seat was the one flying it. Now the thing I'm going to bring out here is my experience in having sat in the left seat for a long time. Very occasionally, I would be given a, um, a flight where I was taking the part of a cruise first officer in the right seat. And what, when you've got all your muscle memory sorted out and you know where your hands are going from the captain's seat, it is very different to be moved to the other seat. Now, instructor captains should be pretty familiar, but they've still got this barrier of muscle memory and uh, I know where to put my hands to find things and it's not the same being in the right hand seat when you're used to flying in the left hand seat and these levers are beside each other so my theory is it was uh, the it was the instructor pilot who selected the uh, propellers to feather instead of get putting uh, flap 30 out uh, and my feeling is he was so used to going to the levers that were close to him he went for the feather levers instead of the flat exactly. levers. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And I, I agree know. with you 100% there. And even, okay. even when you're yeah, sitting Yeah, because you've done that job, haven't you, Rick? You've fl flown the aircraft from both sides lots. I have. And in, and in fact, yeah. it's uh, during our uh, our uh, annual check ride, um, we, on, uh, uh, on the simulator, uh, we, do, we actually have to do a portion of it from the right-hand seat because of that very eventuality. You might have to fly it. And I have flown it on, on, on the right-hand seat several times and it just feels weird it's like everything's out of place you know you 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 kind of know where the things kind of are but then you actually have to make sure that you're actually looking at the right and touching the right thing keeping in mind that the design of the knobs and the buttons and the levers is you know are different for this very very reason but yeah like Steffi said during a high workload situation you go to reach for something you know and you know, there you go. So that's exactly the point I was just about yeah. to make. You know, in the, the caravan in particular, the flaps are right next to the fuel cutoff. Great design <laughs> on the pedestal there. And you have to cross your, if you're in the left seat, you have to cross your hand over the fuel shutoff, right? So, um, you know, it has to go across there. So um, the way it was taught to me and what I, you know, anyone time I'm flying with folks who are new to that airplane, especially in our high workload environment where we're not just looking out for other airplanes, we've got parachutes in the air and, you know, if something's not right, it can catch your attention really easily as your hand is moving and doing things that are relatively automatic. Flaps are flat. That lever is flat. Exactly. If it feels round, it's probably not the correct thing or it's not like this, you know, very easily identified um, lever control surface. Exactly, and and even and and this this goes even even to the uh, autopilot controls. And you know, in my in my experience, all Boeing aircraft that I've flown, the mode control mode control panel is the same. You know, from the triple seven all the way to the seven forty seven is all the same. And the the feel to the head and select knob is different than that to of the altitude knob and that of the speed knob. Everything's got a different feel um, to it, so that you can you know try to mitigate this 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 potential um, uh, threat of touching or activating the wrong control. So, uh, Rick, I have a question for you. Are yeah. uh, in your company? Um, are are you like dual qualified? Can you, like, if they can't find a first officer, you can go ahead and fill and sit in the right hand seat and perform the first officer duties uh, without any kind of special training? So that at Delta, I can say that. Yay. 
Delta uh, does not allow you to do <laughs> that unless you have been checked out as an, a line check airman mm. um, to uh, to sit in, in both operating seats. And, uh, yeah, so we I, only allowed it in the cruise, Jeff. So I had mm. to be out of that seat and let a real first officer get in it for the landing. See, for <laughs> us, on, on, our, on our simulator training, on our, on our yearly check ride, we even have to perform a V1 cut from the right-hand seat. Oh wow! Actually, yeah. wow. do the do the uh, the RTO and fly the 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 single you know yeah. the engine out pattern and all that stuff. So, you know, I, I love this idea of uh, trying to make your levers uh, feel appropriate for their job, but you you watch guys move them. They uh, have their hands on them for such a short time. In fact, we almost pride ourselves in being able to go bang, click, click, bang, and off you go. Uh, you know, I really don't know how, how useful that is. And because I know of the Phantom was exactly the same. We had all sorts of levers with different feel to them, and yet we had some bloke manage to put out the ram air turbine instead of putting the flaps down. Uh, and, uh, you know, and they're complete. One's a big hexagon, and the other one's shaped like a flap. And you go, how the hell I, I, you I bet you that to- never happened with the landing gear, though, because that damn lever is the size of the brick airplane well that's true yeah that is very true yes <laughs> now um i hold boxes says that the nepalese investigators used our show in their preliminary oh report. interesting uh, from <laughs> really? our live audience i hold boxes says the preliminary report only includes the link to that apg show with no further remarks yeah, they finally got it you right. Guys, get a good job. 50% <laughs> Excellent. I'm not, but I haven't received the monetary. Um, it's it's in the mail. It's in the mail. In the mail. Okay, <laughs> good. Coming, check 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 from with my pay yeah. rise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> he has it. It's gonna take him a little while. He has to climb Everest first, but yeah, exactly. it'll get yeah. <laughs> Yes. Oh man. Yeah, this is oh. only my number two job, you know. Normally, I'm up and down Everest, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Um, let's see. What we sh- should we do next, uh, Liz? Should uh, we do, uh, D? do Do D and uh-huh. F, and then that's it, I think. Okay. This one. Uh, let's uh, do item D uh, from flightglobal.com. French investigators have determined that a tower controller forgot that a light aircraft was awaiting takeoff at Bordeaux before clearing an EasyJet Airbus A320 to land on the occupied runway. And now we wanted to kind of include this news item to show you that it's not just controllers here in the United States that are kind of messing things up and uh, not doing their job exactly, uh, you know, most uh, effectively. Uh, The light aircraft, which was on the runway, a Robin DR-400, with two people on board, had been instructed to line up and hold at the threshold of runway 23 to avoid wake turbulence from a preceding Air France A321 departure. At the time of the lineup, the inbound EasyJet aircraft was established on approach some eight nautical miles from the runway at a height of 2,800 feet. So it's pretty far out there. Uh, French investigation authority, the BEA, says the controller then became preoccupied for about two minutes with several air traffic movements. These included the climbing Air France A321, two visual rules flights passing through the control zone, and a third heading for Courcheval, uh, is that right? Uh, which uh, was requesting flight plan activation. The controller interrupted communications with these flights to authorize the A320 crew to land as it descended through 766 feet, about 1.7 nautical miles from the threshold. 
Uh, the BEA says the DR-400 pilot, the uh, small aircraft, uh, aware that he had been waiting over three minutes for wake avoidance and understanding that the A320 was cleared to land, contacted the tower and informed the controller of his presence on the runway. See, that's somebody is building the mental Heads picture, up. listening to radio communications and go, wait a minute, I'm still on the runway. The controller immediately ordered the A320 crew to execute a go-around. Analysis shows the A320 descended to 103 feet, about 290 meters before the threshold, before climbing away, passing over the DR400 at 178 feet. It was pretty close. Yeah, um, I think we've got that article. Hey, monsieur, who do you think I am? A garlic sausage? <laughs> Okay. I don't know the reference, but apparently Liz does because uh, she was. Apparently, uh, Liz I've, thinks it's I've, funny. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> is is that a reference to something, Nick, or did, did you just? Make no, that? I'm sure the uh, the chap on the runway probably felt like he'd been ignored, and yeah, you know what? I, what do you think I am? No, it's a TCAS system by Dassault, apparently. Ah, is that what it is? Okay. Uh, Anyway, um, the BEA says that this is a generalized practice, um, a grouping of controller positions, dissimilar positions um, between uh, runway and radar display screens, et cetera. And it's tolerated for the sake of, quote, social peace. Hmm? Don't really understand that. Of adjusting the number of controllers on the ship, leaving the French Air Navigation Service without reliable knowledge of occupied controller positions. That's no good. Nope. Doesn't sound yeah. ideal. So <laughs> your social look, peace means you get your days off or what? Here. I don't know. I should say a social peace. Uh, and yet the <laughs> DR-400 had to wait again due to wake turbulence. Yeah. Be, a, be another around. three minutes. Yeah. Thank around. you, Ludger. Yeah. Uh we do this again, huh? Okay. Um, and uh, finally, no, not finally. I'd like to uh, cover yeah. the wearable uh, thing as yeah. well. Is that what yeah. we're doing next? Yeah. Either do Keflavik or Okay, the let's do uh, F. Uh, this is from the Aviation Herald, an Iceland Air Boeing 757-200 uh, performing flight 680 from Seattle, Washington to Keflavik, Iceland, with 178 passengers and six crew, was on approach to Keflavik. Runway 1, uh, only runway 01 was available, uh, with runway 1028 closed due to a, uh, let's see, due to usable runway conditions not being maintained throughout the night when another aircraft suffered a runway excursion and became stuck within the runway area near the end of the runway. The 757 entered a hold. While on the hold, the crew told ATC they would not be able to hold even 30 minutes, queried ATC whether their alternate, uh, Reykjavik, uh, would be available with uh, runway braking coefficients. And ATC responded that the runway braking coefficients weren't yet known. It would take about 30 minutes to be done. Uh, however, let's see, the crew therefore declared an emergency, being low on fuel and not being and to be able to land on closed runway 01. About 21 minutes after the crew was told about the runway excursion of the air, other aircraft, the aircraft landed safely on runway 01 that was still closed and still occupied at the time, I guess at the very end, uh, with auto brake set to four, which I'm guessing, uh, Rick, is a pretty high setting. So you go from one 
to max auto on seven fives and seven sixes. One gives you four feet per second square. Uh, two gives you five. Three gives you six. Four gives you seven point five, and max auto gives you eleven feet per second square deceleration. Where the RTO setting on that, uh, the RTO gate on the on the um, on the auto brake system gives you it's it's not uh, contingent on a uh, inertial input or a deceleration rate, but instead gives you the full three thousand psi of the right hydraulic pressure um, system to stop you during during a uh, during a rejected takeoff. So yeah, four so four four is pretty pretty hefty. Seven and a half. Pretty high. It's not eleven, yeah. but it's. Pretty, but it's it's pretty, up there, yeah, yeah. Okay, and, and I tell, I mean, the brakes on these things are unbelievable. It's, it's, you know, I, I when I read that report, I was like, you know, that's exactly what I would have done. You really can't do anything yeah. else, you know. The, the, and 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 um, in icy conditions, especially this time of year, uh, you don't want to roll to the end of the runway ever because yeah. that's where you have, you know, you know uh, rubber deposit, and then the and well, then the other the, jet uh, did it, and then you see all oh, you saw exactly, what exactly right. So you want <laughs> you want to touch down and stop as soon as you can, get off the runway, and just taxi off because if you roll off to the end of the runway, that's where contamination is from the opposite side. So uh, just stay away from that area. So I have to be honest. When I first read this, I thought that the the seven five seven crew landed on it without approval and didn't know that the runway was you know, somewhat occupied at the end and all that kind of stuff. But apparently, he said, I don't care. Uh, I have to have a, a runway to land on. I've declared an emergency. And as they say at the very end of this narrative, the crew turned the landing lights off during rollout in order to not disturb the team working at the runway end, I guess, on that other run, uh, airplane. Uh, they vacated the runway and taxied to the apron. So it was, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I would have done that, but there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Just tell I mean, them to close can, their eyes for a moment if it's yeah. not What else right? can you do? I, I mean, you got yeah. you know, it for social harmony. Yeah. You know, can't go to race. <laughs> yeah. The other runway's closed. He's not arguing about that. He's talking about turning the lights off so you don't oh, yeah, yeah. You know, hurt people's lives. I'd, I'd like to have seen it coming up so I could have taxied around it, you know, or swerved around it. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, take some pictures. Right. You know, you want to have your lights <laughs> on and light it up a little bit better. I actually, I, I, I fully appreciate his point of view because you're the captain of an airplane. There's a piece of tarmac there. I don't care if there's some bloke parked up the far end. I'm going to stop before that, and I'm going to exercise my captain's prerogative to do what the hell I want. And so long as you can back it up afterwards, that's exactly what you should do, and I take my hat off to him. Absolutely. You know what? This makes me uh, reminds me of remember that uh, that ATC exchange from this uh, this American Airlines seven six I think it was landing in Kennedy where the uh, winds were uh, out of tolerance or something mm -hmm. like that and then he was like well clear everybody out of my way to clear an emergency just landing. This is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> just let you know. That's right. <laughs> the tire guy's like okay I guess you are. Yeah, that's what <laughs> captain's emergency authority authority means, right? Yeah, you know exactly mm -hmm. that, Jeff. Yeah. We'll talk about well, this as, later. As Nick says, <laughs> you have to be able to back it up because you're going to be doing oh, yeah. that carpet dance, and uh, you you better have the facts on your on your side on your side. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. All right. Um, okay, last last one, uh, item G, uh, from the Aviation Web uh, Abweb dot com. Uh, let's see. The Federal Aviation Administration re recently granted approval for a supplemental type certificate, an STC, for AirSales AirAware headset device known as Skylens HWD, which stands for Head Wearable Display. An enhanced flight vision system, EFVS, for pilots in low-vis conditions. 
Uh, it says that it's uh, EFVS received approval from the FAA for the Boeing 737NG, uh, new generation product line. This achievement marks the world's first commercial EFVS system to achieve a 50% visual advantage and the first large transport aircraft to be certified with a complete dual pilot EFVS solution featuring a head wearable display. Um, anyway, um, let's see. Resembling a head-up display, HUD, Airware's uh, device presents aircraft performance data without requiring the pilot to look down at the instruments. The Skylens HWD is distinguished by its ability to overlay synthetic terrain directly into the pilot's line of sight. The terrain information aligns with the pilot's head movements and uh, showing relative uh, relevant terrain display with a 180-degree uh, field of view, meaning pilots get the advantages of the HUD without limiting their field of view. Um, let's see, uh, a report from AvGeekery. That's a great uh, website name. I need to turn off my phone's notifications. I, they're usually off, sorry. A report from AvGeekery says the installation of the device takes three to five days per aircraft plus training for pilots. The device holds certification exclusively for the Boeing 737NG, suggesting a focus on serving existing and new Boeing business jet customers. And I have a little uh, uh, movie that I can play uh, that kind of is, is cool, uh, cool pilot cool pilot music uh so i think it'd be fun to play this kind of get a little better idea of how this thing works yeah we're pilots walking on the ramp with meat bags so yeah we got handbags yeah purse pilots so there's the uh device mounted in the uh, uh the nose cone of the aircraft yeah. Look at these guys. Look at that. Look at that. These are experienced guys. Yeah. Like me. Lots of gray hair. Wrinkles. Look at that. Putting on their synthetic vision devices. Oh, yeah. Clear for takeoff. Left downwind. Departure approved. And so it's showing them takeoff. But anyway, it's kind of cool. They um, Let's see. At some point here in the, in the film, they show what you would see in your head-worn display so they're descending into instrument meteorological conditions or oh we'd no like to say, oh not, to yeah, get real it's okay nick it's okay <laughs> look they have their uh, oh, oh wow i'm like the world's green yeah everything's the... good it's when it turns red you <laughs> want to worry <laughs> yeah don't... they're going green they're, they're going, going green <laughs> yeah literally <laughs> right liz uh, but the cool thing is it moves, you know, the, with your head movement. So if you look over to the left or the right, you know, you can, you can still utilize the, uh, up to 180 degrees, I believe this vision. So what, uh, Jeff's used to is the, uh, imagery on the, uh, well, from that last one, the right side where you can't see anything until just above minimums, but these guys can see the runway from way far out. That's what I normally see. <laughs> That's what I see too. Natural vision. That's what Rick sees as well. And uh, so here it is coming in. They can see everything. Don't forget the gear they now. They can, they can see, yeah, oh, yeah. They're so focused on seeing stuff on the ground, they forgot They're to put hit the gear that down. taking the picture. <laughs> hey, you're transmitting on guard. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He was on guard. Yeah. Okay. They're coming in. This is pretty cool. Uh, to, to be able to see all that, the synthetic vision. I know. See, oh, those yeah. are real pilots. 
We just oh, look, it's synthetic rain. Look at that. Yeah, that's true. I'm wondering yeah, if that's it's really realistic. That rain. Yeah. I think it, it is actually raining. You Probably can see is it in real. The, uh, oh, you can see it in the <laughs> okay. Normal, the natural vision view. This is about the point where or I snowing, see the runway. Snow, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Yeah. Big fat snowflakes. Right. Yeah, you're right. That's so nice. the, oh yeah, it is cool. That's right. nice. They did remember the gear. Oh, good. They good. Did. Yeah. And they Ooh, were cute. on course and on schedule. Excellent. Oh, time runway. Do you do you realize that this is just one step from being able to do your job from home? Oh, they're working. Don't on say that. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll, yeah, you'll be at home with your VR headset on, doing. You know, where, where are you going today, darling? Oh, I'm off to Los Angeles. <laughs> <you know>. Poor <laughs> green pappies. <laughs> <laughs> Sit at your desk for five hours. KFC has a comment. Okay, Uh, KFC, make good winglets, uh, says, hardest thing about wearing these is not to sing the Top Gun theme music. Yeah. (laughs) Really? No, I agree. Uh, Four green pappies looked a bit odd. I'm not quite sure. Two things. Yeah. (laughs) You know, us pilots are very proud of our our hairdo, so that's going to mess that up. Two. Oh, yeah. Are you going to have to wear the ship set? And if that's the oh case, yeah yeah well, well these guys from... were they were carrying their own in their own little yeah, bags yeah. right oh, no this so. is for the the Boeing business jets so surely these guys yeah, have we, their own we cargo pilots will we yeah, we'll never see this shit I mean this stuff is hard. <laughs> 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 we're the last ones to get anything you'll <laughs> get the hand downs from the Boeing business jet pilots yeah, after they right. uh, you know yeah, they used and abused them a bit yeah well wow. the leaky leaky airplane it's like so. duck the the lens the um. You know, the glasses part of it is like duct taped on. Cause it's I didn't notice. They're not going to be much. They're not going to be much use to you, Rick. Most cargo pilots I know put them on backwards. Uh, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I didn't notice it. The flight director is it really interesting? It's a, it's. A, I think that's the way. I think Boeing and Airbus they do the same thing where the flight director is two concentric circles where you have to put the small circle inside the bigger circle yeah. and just kind of, you know, keep Never them keep before. them yeah keep them keep them centered one with the other so that's that's kind of nice but uh, yeah but like I say well, I will never I'll never see that no. hey Rick um, yeah. I'm ready now so go ahead yeah I got it I got it uh, <laughs> I got my thumb on it sorry <laughs> sensors at the ready all right anything Time else to, to say to yeah let's do some getting to know us. Getting to know us. It's the time of the show where we get all caught up with what everybody's been up to between shows. And, you know, Rick, we need to start with you because it's been a while since we've seen you on the show. So fill us in. What's been happening with you? Good to have you here. Well, I've been uh, been, uh, fly testing this new wearable hut stuff. Uh, Oh. The secrets out. No. No, I've been uh, I've been good. Been been very busy uh, on the home front. Uh, we're still going on with a big remodel. It's uh, we're at a point where we might be done here early March, so that's going to be nice. Um, um, so for the time being, as a, as a, the interest said, we're spending a couple of um, couple. It's been now coming up on two months now at uh, my in laws' place here in the central coast of California. So. Um, yeah, we're working on that, hoping to be done here soon. And then on the work side of things, uh, just flying, staying, you know, very, very busy. Um, this long haul stuff, uh, is, uh, as as the word says, um, you know, it's, it's very, it 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 uh, 
it requires a lot of time and it, it you know i'm gone for it's it's i'm no longer gone the 17 days i used to be gone and now it's you know, the rosters are down to about two weeks on two weeks off which is great but still very time consuming um been doing a lot of flying to um australia i was talking to the guys here before we started uh november and december i went to sydney twice so that was nice um november and december um down there down under is a beautiful time of year beautiful weather um and uh, doing a lot of flying to China as well, uh, which I'm not a big fan of. But hey, what are you going to do? Going to Japan quite a bit. Did uh, did some um, some trips to Europe. That was nice. Did uh, uh, a nice long layover in Leipzig uh, not too long ago. Did the Christmas market stuff over there. So that was nice. You weren't caught up so, yeah. in that uh, that big uh, snowstorm, ice storm over there in Germany, were you? No, no, no. I left just before that, just before uh, that. So I, I, I timed it. I timed it right. Uh, I'd, uh, I tell you, I've, I've been lucky because I mean, and I mean, just, you know, winter just started, but so far I've been lucky. Um, haven't been back to Kazakhstan. I did some Kazakhstan flying a couple months ago. That was nice. I love that layover. Uh, going to Almaty is a really beautiful place. Um, and then doing doing back and forth between um, Chongqing and China and Zaragoza, Spain. Zaragoza, that's another one of my favorite cities. So just staying, just staying pretty, pretty busy. Um, on the training side of things, we're coming up on uh, my annual check right here in March. So starting to hit the books again. Again? I know. You know how it is. Wow. Wow. Uh, it just seems we like were, we were talking about this. I know. We were hoping. We were hoping to have. Jeff's um, never doing that again. I know. It must be nice, Jeff, not having to do that ever again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we were hoping to move from the um, bi-yearly thing, you know, every six months to AQP going uh, every nine months, kind of like what you mm-hmm. had at Delta. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it looks like next year is going to be it, which is, which is fine because the less time I spend in the sim, the better it is. Um, yes, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, a, not a big fan of the sim, not because I don't like it, but it's just, you know, just go to the schoolhouse and you have to, you know, sit through class and it's just, there's always a, a level of stress associated with it because you do that. And then, and then you also have to do your medical exam and also it's just a bunch of stuff. So Wait I tell it. you like, what's up class? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we haven't done class at Delta for, I don't know, a couple of decades. I think. Oh yeah. No, you. So you go in like for us, it's a, it's a five day thing where you do two days of classroom, then the third day you do all the e- emergency um, equipment stuff, and then the evacuation, and you do a little bit of cross training with the with the um, with the cabin crew personnel, um, you know, CRM type stuff. And then you do two days of simulator. The first day is um, uh, a proficiency check warm-up where you do a lot of the same maneuvers you're going to do on your check ride. And the cool thing about it is that depending on who's giving you the the, the PC warm-up, you can sign off a lot of the maneuvers, which is great. And that way, the following day when you do your proficiency check um, is actually a little bit a little bit shorter, which is, which is nice. Um, so, so that, I have that coming up in March. Um, and then what else I got going on? That's it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, just basically being busy, just busy flying, staying, staying on top of that. Um, here at home with the, with the in-laws, as I said, they have two dogs. I have three dogs. Kind of have three dogs. So we have five dogs here at the house. It's quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of canines just running around. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, They're probably loving it. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're having a lot of fun up here. Uh, we, the, the house is right on the, on the cliff here on the beach. And so we have direct access to the beach right downstairs. Like, right outside and so they love to go for 
for for their uh, run in the morning and take them uh, two at a time though, because five would be kind of kind of a lot. Can't handle five. Uh, are they good swimmers, Rick? Oh yeah, the Lucy loves she loves to swim, and especially when the when the tide goes down and you have a lot of the tide pools um, exposed. To, you love to go in there and just, you know just splash around, and she's quite the she's quite the little swimmer in that one. So um, you need to take a camera down, get some pictures. We'd love to see. Absolutely. Those. Oh, Brad has a comment, Rick, about you and the Sims. What's that? I'm getting. <laughs> nah. Who's, who's teaching whom? Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you, I mean these these guys these 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 Sim guys are they're they're very very good, and 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 the cool thing about it is that. I mean, I, I used to, I used to be a sim instructor for a little while. Um, and, uh, you really do get to learn a lot. Um, because that is what you're exposed to day in and day out. However, you can't operate out on the line. Like you fly a simulator there. It's completely different. Um, because there's 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 aspects of the daily operation that you can't replicate in a simulator, um, and so uh, it's uh, it's 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 night and day. And you can tell a lot of times, you know, when these when these sim instructors go out on the line, um, that yeah, that's been a little while since they've been, you know, out on the line. Um, and so and they're and they're you know very open about it. They're like, you know what, I've been I've been you know I haven't been out on the line for a while, and you know just watch me and and um, they'll. They'll they'll try to get as many sectors as they possibly can, even though legally they can remain uh, current just by you know getting their landings in their sim because it's a, it's a level D simulator, so that takes care of that. But um, you you do want to go out there if you if you haven't flown the jet in a while, you do want to go out there and actually handle the jet because it's 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 it, as as much of a category D simulator that is that that we have in the in the schoolhouse it's it's not it's not like the real airplane it doesn't fly the same and it never will so it's 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 good to go out there and actually hand hand fly the thing and 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 uh, and see the operation you know firsthand um because there's things that you can't replicate in the sim so, you know i haven't been handled in quite some time so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well oh, you're talking about the airplane ah i got you okay. let me, yeah let me <laughs> remind me to give you a number uh, oh, okay. <laughs> what have you two retired guys been doing? <laughs> the, yeah, and again, we're not going to change the name to retired airline pilot guy, uh, just in case you were wondering. Um, so I'm going to let this uh, this old this older retired guy, right, right. Here, <laughs> well, it's uh, not going to uh, take me long, Jeff, to cover what I've done, which is absolutely nothing. Oh. Um, it, it's been incredibly wet here. We have had. Uh, Almost constant what? and at times. It, it rains in England? No way. Wow, yeah. that's unusual. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, sometimes. Uh, and we've had about uh, two weeks of it, and uh, everything is absolutely sodden. Um, so, including my poor well, sports car. So, uh, uh, the wind's been flapping, so I can't put the cover on it, for you know, uh, yeah. because it just gets beaten to death. Anyway, been very wet. So, uh, that's it, really. Um, playing a county match on Sunday, which I'm looking forward to, representing Hampshire again. We're playing Kent, I think. So That's yeah. where you oh. were born, right, Nick? That's your birthday. Were you born in Kent? I oh, was sir. indeed, yes. I am... Uh, I'm trying to remember which one I am, a man of Kent or a Kentish man. I think I'm a man of Kent. 
depends mm. which side of the river Medway you're born as to whether you are one. Because uh-huh. they had a war <laughs> between the men of Kent and the Kentish men, you see. So it means oh, something oh. down there. No idea. Okay. No, don't worry about it. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a while do ago. I look worried? <laughs> no, you don't. No, you. Yeah. You look. You look very good, actually. You look very relaxed, if you don't mind me saying so. Well, good. It's because, yeah, I, I'm a retired airline pilot now, and uh, I'm still keeping a busy. Delta. But uh, a retired Delta Airlines uh, captain. Yes. Um, <laughs> How many times can we fit? That I don't know. In it's this just, show? just as fun to say, you know. <laughs> now. They people have made the point that I have slipped up uh, maybe one or two times, or maybe a lot more than that in the, in the past. last several years. But uh, I try oh, to I fix that usually in post. Legacy uh, airline editing. based in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Legacy airline based in Atlanta. I mean, well, there are a lot of them. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I was able to put a little hint in the show cover art. Oh, okay. That'll be interesting wanna to cover. Yeah. You want to you want to look at that right yeah. now? Let's do oh, it if you want, yeah. Okay, yeah, we could do it. it. Cover art. So look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Very poignant. Uh, The old man going over the hill. So, uh, but. um, (laughs) (laughs) Didn't have to add that. Yeah, and because his eyesight's failing, I had to put a nice big 600 so he could find it. (laughs) You know what? You should have had me with my arms straight out in front of me, like I could, you know, trying to feel my way. To the sun. <laughs> yeah. Quite Actually, I had, I had enough trouble getting a bloke in something that vaguely resembled a, a pilot's uniform. Uh, they yeah, have this good. terrible habit of, if you ask for a back view of someone, you his head's on the right way round, but his jacket's on backwards. It's <laughs> well, like they got the all the buttons down. Well, the, the poor <laughs> Jeff has uh, kind of lost his mind, and he's putting yeah. on his jacket backwards. So exactly. the AI is not quite up to it's speed. It's not. I had to make a lot of adjustments to even make it vaguely look like you. But I managed to get your hat in your hand. And if you know, it's not, a, it's not an Acme hat. It's no. uh, a proper it's a Delta. 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 Now, I should have, I should have zoomed in on that. Um, I ah, thought we wouldn't right. have to worry about zooming because it was so obvious. The APG logo, the Fly Acme logo there in the background in the sunshine. And then, of course, yeah. the actual title, you know, the Over the Hill Show 600. Indeed. You have 600 yeah. right there. Uh, so there so. we go. That was an easy one. Uh, in fact, I've already got all the ideas I need for this oh, show. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, there's so, a few really? good ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, you, you, you said something that I thought could be a possible title, the bang, click, click, bang, I think is what you said. Right? <laughs> right? I like I like escargot around. No, I think <laughs> escargot around. We're going to have there French Union French soup. Puns. We're going to have escargot around. We can have snailed it. And I eclair an emergency. So I love that. All of that's going in. Our live chat are very creative, funny, yeah. funny yeah. people. And Thank you. They had yes, all this exactly laughing right. in the background. Ben Ram and I hold boxes. No, yeah, those, they, the boy's done good. Thank you very much for all those great ideas. <laughs> Well, thank you for that great art, uh, Captain Nick. Really, really nice. Yeah, pretty, isn't it? I love it. Yeah. Stayed away from the poop. Thank you. Well, since we have, yeah, <laughs> we avoided the poop, uh, poop and the mustache. Uh, yeah, we did. Yes, that was the important yeah. bit. Um, Steph, let's get to you before you leave us for whatever oh, reason. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm here now. I'm sorry, I was oh, waiting. Okay. On a, I had a phone call that I had to return, and then I tried uh-huh. to return it while Rick was catching us up, and then. 
I had to wait for a call back on it, but now I've since had that phone call. So we are excellent. We're good to go. Good to go. Oh, yes. all right. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to hear from you anyway. My catch up will be brief, um, as uh, Liz uh, described it. At the beginning of the show, I've been dealing with the grunge, um, which is the technical term for the illness that I've had for, gosh, I had it for like two weeks over Thanksgiving, and then I had it for over a week. It kind of started back up again day before Christmas, Christmas Eve, really sick Christmas Day. Weather was, you know, kind of not great that day, so I just kind of thought I'd stay inside and have a quiet Christmas and some soup and recovery, and then it lingered all week long. So before I went, I think I probably mentioned this the last show, so I'm sorry for regurgitating again, but before I went back to work, because I still wasn't better, I went by the local local urgent care, and I was negative for COVID and flu and strep. So I think the grunge is uh, the absolute uh, appropriate you know, um, it's a it's the correct medical term for what I had, but still just a little bit of congestion, a little bit of cough. Um, thankfully, not doing any flying right now because that wouldn't have been going well. Um, I don't think um, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And hopefully this is the end of it and I don't have to be sick again for another three years because that's the last time I was really sick. And I enjoyed that three year hiatus from illness of any sort. Well, we're glad that you're feeling better and you definitely sound a lot better. Yeah, you can you can hear me today, which is yeah. great. And I'm not don't feel like yeah, I'm kind of messed up our little APG player skit. Uh, I know you can it didn't sound like me. No, we'll have to re-record it with my actual voice. Yeah, you missed it, Rick. We did the uh, another episode of the APG players. I have, yeah. have one with Rick next. At the, yeah, at, the at the very beginning of the shows, just take a listen, see what you think. I think we might be going on the road. Tim, uh, Tim Van Ram suggestions for me. Yeah. What does he say? He says, uh, might have to put the top up on the Jeep soon to stay healthy. Uh, yes. Thanks, yeah. Tim. Good That's a fellow Jeep owner. That's no yeah. more driving around topless. No. <laughs> you know, it was 23 yeah. degrees this morning, Fahrenheit here. It was not mm-hmm. warm. Um, that is well below. All right. Oh, my turn. Uh, let's see here. I've been doing my typical lots of singing, mostly funerals lately, I guess. Everybody was uh, like saving up for or not having their funerals during the Christmas holiday season, and and uh, if you're if you're concerned, I think most of these were, were uh, cremains, uh, so you know they they store just fine. Um, and so now I've been I think so far this year I've already sung like four funerals, and then I have another. Today is uh, January fifth. I, I know, and okay. I think next I mean I've, I've, next week I have another at least three. That I've agreed to sing. What are they going to do when you get the RV and you're not there anymore? Well, they're going to have to get somebody else to sing, Liz. Or you can, you can uh, sit remotely if you, when you get the RV. Yeah, I can. They can just pipe me in. Just get one um, of those. Uh, just get one of those. A bunch uh, of stuff. Yeah, just get one of those uh, shower speakers, and uh, yeah. they're, they're just, dying to hear you sing. Yeah, yeah our uh, Brad and our live audience says dying to hear you sing. Yeah, Ba-doom, boom. Yeah, I don't <laughs> even know if that deserves a rim shot. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, so I've been doing the, the singing thing. And then, uh, oh, uh, I, I guess it was last, I think about a month ago or so, or maybe in late November, um, uh, Brian, uh, Passenger Brian and Main Man Micah had me on their show, uh, The Journey is a Reward uh, podcast. And uh, it was great. It was a great time. I think I've talked about it on an earlier show. Um, actually, they cut out. Uh, thank you for cutting that stuff out. <laughs> there was some stuff that I probably shared more than I should have, and they uh, they didn't include that in the almost three-hour-long show. Normally, their show is, what, under an hour? Uh, but, of course, you have me on. I can't stop talking. 
And anyway, that was a great time. They've released that show and we'll put that link to it in the show notes. And uh, let's see. Um, oh, Radio Roger um, sent in a photograph. And uh, there it is on the uh, video. Um, my, my, my mother, my daughter, Gemma, and her fiance, Mike, had a magical wedding on New Year's Eve. Can't think of a better time to get married. Their vows to each other were touching. And there was ma uh, magic in the air. I've attached a photo. That's what we're looking at right now. Forgot to say, you can see my son, Jeremy, who is one of the officiants, uh, officiants, officiants, Efficient. yep. uh, in the center. And the proud father of the bride is there on the right. That good looking guy over there handsome, on the right Rog. side. Yeah. You're really looking handsome, Roger. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know what they did to make you look so nice, uh, but uh, keep it up. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. congratulations. Sir. Yeah. And then um, we got, just, what was it, just today, Liz, uh, or was yeah, it yesterday that yesterday, we received I believe, yesterday. Uh, some, a little bit of audio feedback from our uh, Slack guy, uh, Hillel, and uh, let's go ahead and add him to the stage and uh, see what he wants to say to us. Oh, he's in the shower. There we go. Greetings, Jeff, Liz, and the rest of the crew. So I am a little late or looking at it another way. I wanted to make sure that you actually had the 600th episode before I congratulated you on the 600th episode. Or to tell the truth, I was actually flying during the 600th episode in one of my now I guess frequent puppy saving flights. So I hope that's a good enough excuse. All right. Having said that, I would be remiss if I had completely missed the opportunity to congratulate you on all the amazing things that are going on. The 600th episode, your retirement and your birthday. So here we are just on the other side of the new year. And I'll wish everybody a happy, healthy, peaceful and prosperous 2024. Excuse me, I have to go wash my hands. Thank you. Steph. Okay. Thank you, Hillel. Uh, as you know, he likes to hang out in the bathroom wherever I'm located. I don't know exactly how that works, but uh, thank you very much for the uh, well wishes. Uh, Hillel, I do appreciate that. I'm glad and he's doing the good work of puppy saving flights. That's really yeah. an awesome thing that he does. Yeah. I guess we can we can let it go because I don't know if he was really doing that or not, but he knew that he we was. would let him. Oh, he, he was. He, he was. And I think there was something where um, he had to turn back around because the he weather did. was poor yeah. and then they had to uh -huh. arrange for someone else to do the flight the next day. But it all worked okay. out. So. All right. Yeah. No hard feelings. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's so gracious. <laughs> he knows I'm kidding. All right. Um, let's see. That's, I think, coffee fun. That's all I have. Yeah. All right. Uh, coffee fun then. All right. Let me find that and push this button. It's time for us to sing. Come on, everybody. Johnny, how much more coffee? Go thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG. I don't hear you, Nick. Community. Coffee and tea. 
and the Java and me. Oh my gosh. The cup, the cup, the cup, the cup, the cup. You're going to have to watch the video at the Coffee Fund timestamp. Uh, the Coffee Fund, your way to support the show financially. A, a bunch of great ways to support our show, but uh, financially is the best. <laughs> uh, and a couple of different ways to do that. You can join the Coffee Fund uh, cadre, the Coffee Bar Club, by using the classic uh, method, the Coffee Fund Classic, uh, through PayPal. And uh, since our last show, wow, we had... What um, What's that? down into the corner into a little corner oh how did that happen i think you pushed the wrong no, you pushed the wrong little uh, layout button there there, oh, there. no um, no it's the one right here right to the right of it there you go okay. <laughs> or you can hit the one the rectangle that's just nothing but rectangle yeah there you go yeah. all right <laughs> Hi, this is fun. All right, Coffee Fun Classic. Uh, we have, uh, okay, now stop it. Uh, we have four people that took advantage of this uh, mechanism to contribute to the show financially. I guess I'm going to have to hit the loop now because I took so much time and Liz distracted me so much I'm with sorry. the layouts. Okay, uh, we have Logan Lynch. Uh, who was live who was on the show last on, time. on our live show last week, the 600 show. Richard Adams, who is a frequent contributor, Till, Till Opatz, and Wilf, Wilfred Bag. Now, uh, the asterisks there mean that they actually sent us a little bit of communication in with there. That's one of the things you can do with the Coffee Fun Classic method. You can uh, include a note with your contribution. And uh, let's see, so I have written those down, and... Richard Adams said, congrats on 600 shows. Incredible achievement. Uh, Till Opatz uh, said, dear APG crew, congrats to 600 episodes. Thanks for all your great work, which keeps me sane in these crazy times. Well, kind of. Please continue as long as you possibly can. Best wishes from Germany, Till. What, have you heard something, Till? Um, and then Wilfred uh, Bag." Uh, from Melbourne, Australia, says, in honor of Captain Jeff's retirement, uh, I also have a question. Uh, since APG 595, the chapters in Google Podcasts, which I use, no longer display, only a link to the show notes. Are you aware why? Thanks. Willie Bag, Melbourne, Australia. I do know why. All right, let's move on to the next segment of the show. No, I'm just kidding. I guess I, guess I should probably explain why it is that um, you don't see the show. And I think, and this is uh, be a good time to just quickly talk some tech talk here. Let me uh, see if I can find the right button to make that fade out. Um, the, uh, so so what, when we talk about chapters and chapter images, that's something that's actually built into the MP3 file that certain podcast client software can can see and they'll actually show it. So when we're saying, hey, look at that picture of Radio Roger and his uh, daughter's wedding. Well, that would be if you were listening to our show as you are right now, you saw that picture in your actual podcast uh, player. Um, and I think what, um, what Willie uh, in Melbourne, Australia is thinking of when he says um, chapters uh, is that Google, because I know this because Google Podcasts never actually supported chapters, but I used to put down like time codes and various parts of the show with a time code. And let me tell you what, the reason why I stopped doing that, Willie, is that it takes a lot of my time to do it. 
And I wasn't convinced that anybody was actually even using that or looking at it, but I was wrong. Willie in Australia is using it. So, and the other thing I learned, by the way, and I think I mentioned this on the last episode, uh, Spotify, if you're, li- there are a lot of, a lot of the people listening to the show right now are using the Spotify app to listen to it. And they do not support chapters, except that I did see that if I put, go back to what I was doing before, I think that they have some kind of a chapter functionality if I do that, if I put the time codes, et cetera. So I'm going to be experimenting with that because I want all of you to be able to take advantage of of this. So you can skip around. I mean, if you're like a couple of our listeners who say what we're doing right now is a waste of time and they just want to hear us talk about news and feedback, uh, um, you know, then you can skip around or whatever, you know, whatever your favorite segment is. But we prefer that you listen to all of it. But, you know, we understand you guys have lives and don't have three hours every week to listen to the show. But anyway, that is to say, I'm experimenting. I'm going to go back, even though it takes me a lot of time to do it. Apparently it means something to some people out there. So I'm going to go back to what I used to and do. You're and you're retired see. now. And I'm retired. And I have nothing to do. Actually, nothing. that's not true. I, I don't, I have really not even been able to tell that I'm retired because even when I was flying, I would continue to do all the stuff that I'm doing now. I just do it in a different city after I've flown around a couple, couple legs, you know? So, um, yeah, that's all I have to say about that, I guess. So I know it's tech talk that some people don't really care about, but Hey, if you're using one of those advanced podcasting, um, apps like, uh, pocket casts, which I think is available on all platforms, um, overcast on, um, Mac or the iOS platform, which I highly recommend. Um, yeah, you can, you can take full advantage of, uh, chapters. So, so if you want to there know about go. the coffee fund, go to airlinepilotguide.com. Yeah, so if you want to learn about the uh, coffee fund, head over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee, and then you can learn also about becoming a patron of the show. No new patrons this week, uh, but uh, it's there if you uh, deem it appropriate. All right. Okay, let's do now, some feedback. it's time for some feedback. <laughs> Incoming message. I think my co-hosts have finally uh, discovered all the different layouts that they can change. <laughs> I was I was trying to make it go to the correct one for you, and then it kept getting I like changed. It. It's fun. It's fun. We found out that you can put the boys on the bottom and the girls on the top. <laughs> uh, family show. I'm <laughs> not. Yeah. Okay. Moving right along. Uh, moving on <laughs> here. Look at uh, it. Well, <laughs> look at you're looking like great, it. Jeff. That's just all I'm gonna. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't care where I am actually, you know, you know, you can, I can <laughs> be on the bottom. Be yeah. I'm just happy. I'm just happy to be alive. <laughs> yep. yep. Or, survived 65 years of being a no, pilot. Was, well, uh, yeah, I'm 65 years old, but 42 years of flying both Air Force and, uh, and, uh, wow. what was that company? Delta. Um, all right. Uh, let's get on with this from Sam Bolog in uh, Los Angeles, I believe. Um, the buffoon. Hey, now, Sam, that's not fair. Why Why is he calling me names? Oh, wait. No, he's not talking about me. He's talking about uh, Trevor Jacob. We ha- covered a story regarding him maybe getting his license certificate back. Maybe not. I don't know. But he says, is Trevor Jacob able to get insurance at this point? And if so, it must be ridiculous. I wouldn't think any company would take him on. Your thoughts? So how does that work, Steph? Um, so you're a private pilot. 
I know you're not. I mean, you are a, a commercial pilot as well. But let's say before you were a commercial pilot, you're a private pilot, um, and you want to go out and fly a Cessna 150 uh, in a club or uh, renting it, or maybe you own it. Um, what kind of insurance do you have to have? I mean, do you have to so have? It, if, it depends, mm-hmm. um, and it may have changed since the last time I actually tried to rent an airplane to fly because it's been actually a number of years now, and it, I, I want to say things were kind of trending towards what I'm going to describe here in a moment. Um, but folks who are active uh, private pilots who rent aircraft, who, who do not own their own or who do own their own and what those insurance requirements are, because I'm, I'm not sure I've never owned an airplane. Um, You're not sure? <laughs> I'm not sure, it, I'm it not sure if I've ever owned an airplane. Well, uh, I, have, I, I have 100% think that you sure I've know. never owned an airplane, but I'm not sure, you know. <laughs> There's, there's probably a couple different of, uh, uh, avenues that can be taken there depending on okay. the airplane and, and various circumstances. But for renters in particular, um, it depends on the school that you're uh, renting from potentially. Um, and Rick might be able to back me up on this too because I know he's – Well, you know what? The last time recently. I flew a little airplane was with you. Yeah, and you rented it. Down in Miami. He rented it. So that's why I was saying chime, oh, chime in here if, if I'm, that, I'm wrong That was here. what, like – 10 years ago, something like that? Maybe like, less? Uh, nine years ago, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, yeah it's been a, a while. I should do that again. Wow. Anyway, um, there, there, in my personal experience, and this is, again, a number of years ago, probably close to six, eight, ten at this point, um, depending on the flight school, um, sometimes you were covered under the school's insurance policy, or you could be. Um, so they may or may not do any kind of, like, you know, the, particular background checks into you if especially if you're going to be flying with an instructor if you're going to get checked out um i don't remember going through any sort of very rigorous uh process for being included on their insurance um however it was highly recommended that you have your own renter's insurance um which you do have to fill out applications for including you know giving your uh, certificate information and recent flight experience and i'm sure there's a whole bunch of questions in there about you know has your license ever been suspended revoked not issued certain things um and other you know traffic related violations maybe not necessarily and the answer is no to all those the answer is <laughs> hopefully no to all of those <laughs> uh, if no, you're trevor jacob jacob i don't think you can answer no oh. to those mm, um yeah. but What I was seeing, especially with the flight school closest to me where I was renting aircraft, was that they were starting to require um, private pilots who were renting their aircraft to carry their own renter's insurance in addition to what the school had, um, because it does provide an additional level of coverage if there's an accident incident and the airplane airplane is taken offline for repairs and it can cover that downtime and whatnot. Not dissimilar to renting a car, you know, if you're traveling out of town. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, he, he might have some difficulty getting renter's insurance now. I pretty sure that airplane that he, um, you know, intentionally, uh, departed from was allegedly, allegedly, allegedly (laughs) intentionally departed from was his own aircraft. So whatever insurance he had on that, I don't know. Hmm. Well, his his reputation is clearly going to precede him now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I was the, uh, if I was the app like duck or the Geico gecko, I'd give him the middle finger. That'd just be me though. Yeah, I, I think that you, a lot of people know? feel that way. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. You're a significant hazard to our um, property, so we are going to elect to not cover you for mm, any sort of exactly. damages or claims. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully that uh, satisfies your uh, curiosity. Sam, thanks for the question. <laughs> 
Um, let's continue on with this next one from oh. Texas and Lashock. Uh, let's see. Uh, he said, this is interesting. And uh, he gives us a link to an MSN.com uh, article. U.S. Air Force to reclaim Pacific airfield that launched atomic bombings as it looks to counter China. There's a picture we're showing in our video of, uh, what is it called? Tinian Airfield. Tinian. And it's uh, at the north end of uh, an island. And I'm trying to find the name of the island. Help me out, people. It's the Northern um, Mariana Islands. In the Northern um, Mariana Islands. But I think the actual island itself, or maybe it is Tinian, the island it itself. Tinian? Okay. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, and, it's actually called Tinian Island. Okay, well then, uh, never mind. Uh, oh, I think, so the, the, the field is named North Field, and it's on Tinian Island in the Northern mm. Mariana yeah. Islands. Ding. There we go. Whew. Okay, well, I'll cut out all the other stuff that I just said to make it sound like I'm much smarter than I really am. now called Tinian International Airport. <laughs> or is that a different one? No, they have an airport that's actually to the side. I looked on Google oh, Earth. Oh, they've got and two can, airports? Yeah, they have a, like a real island? airport. Where this, well, see, the, where you're seeing right wow. here is actually an old, you know, from the 1940s. And now it looks like this. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> that's why they're not using... I mean, you can kind of see still some concrete and stuff, but it's mostly overgrown. And uh, yes, I guess not uh, appropriate for commercial air travel or even private air travel for that matter. However, mm. this article is talking about the fact that um, the U.S. Air Force is um, uh, bring the Pacific Island airfield that launched the atomic bombings back into commission as it tries to broaden its basing options in the event of any hostilities with China. And uh, so anyway, so a lot of good stuff here. Uh, I, I really got into doing some research. I knew nothing about this island out there in the northern Mariana. So t show that um, map again, uh, Liz, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, I love uh, how nothing is labeled in this map. <laughs> yeah, it's a very <laughs> useful map. There's a CIA map. I don't know if you're familiar with the book or the, uh, it's, I think it's on social media sites, uh, Terrible Maps. I'm going to submit this one for no. Terrible it's Maps. This would be inclusion. a good one. Yes. It does have some rectangles on it, um, so highlighting certain things. white is water, right? <laughs> Correct. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. all right. Land on the blue. Um, I got you. Okay. <laughs> wow. I don't think that's right, don't actually. Do that. no. Yeah. No? Um, Anyway, uh, so we'll have a link to this wonderful article in our show notes. So uh, Liz is showing some of the some oh, of the they, pictures they of the there. that's the passenger terminal. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. yeah well, I, what was that actually? Was that like the Air Ops building or something? It says Liz, Air, Administration Air Administration building. Oh, right there it says. Right. <laughs> Open your eyes, Jeff. <laughs> that's two for two, Jeff. <laughs> I know. Okay, I'm done. You know, know, abandoned sites are always fascinating to me at how fast things actually do get reclaimed by oh, yeah. nature. Especially in the tropics. Yeah, yeah especially, I was saying, warm tropical right places. It just be, yeah. it gets native quick. Right? Yeah. I'd yeah. like to point out, this is where, you know, when they were practicing loading and taxing around and even taking off with uh, the first atomic bombs, um, one of the bombs fell out of the... Bombay onto the taxiway. Oh, yikes. <laughs> On this uh -oh. very. <laughs> Everybody's going like this? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Wiley Coyote it's with a, a little umbrella. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Got a lot of history this place. I think it's great, but uh, yeah, fantastic. Wow. wow. Nice. It's All part right, of your empire, isn't it? Thanks, Our Texas empire. and Lashock. Thanks, Texas. Yeah, the United States Empire. Mm. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, the U.S. Empire. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, we're. Yeah. 
Yep. All right. Okay, here we go, Liz. Be careful, Jeff. Okay. So we <laughs> received some feedback from uh, someone who wants us to anonymize everything. And I'm not sure. Sh- we're doing our best. Uh, he, he's, he says to refer to him as a Texas cheesehead. Okay. So. Is that Mr. Cheesehead? Well, I'm, I, I, I didn't ask for his pronouns, so I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Um, I guess that's not a pronoun, though, is it? That's, uh, I was going to call, call him by the um, initials of his name. Yes, ATC is what, uh, what type of cheese uh, are we talking about? Three. Well, he didn't go Three. into that much detail. <laughs> ah, it's so just... a girl. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. Um, so here we go. Uh, now, now, bear with me in this. Uh, there's a lot of redacting uh, had, that has happened Uh-oh. here. Uh, Liz is trying to try to do her best to help me here. Uh, this is uh, greetings, APG crew. This is blank from the blank area. Uh, somewhere in the United States. I think I'm okay with that. Uh, for on- okay. yeah, online purposes, I prefer to identify as a Texas cheesehead. I'm now a regular listener. Yay! Welcome. Yay. My son told me about your podcast. When I first listened, I wasn't comfortable with the informality, but I've got it now. Yeah, it just takes a few episodes to figure out what we're doing here. Uh, and when you have figured it out, would you please send us an email and let us know <laughs> yeah. what it is that we're doing? Um he says, I, I listened to episode 599 Thursday night. Congratulations on 600 shows. Thank you. And had some context to offer. So who am I to have something to offer here? It's a good question. Okay. So he tells us a little bit about his background. So this is why it's difficult because there's a lot of good stuff about his background that I'm afraid that I can't really share because it be may identify him and he doesn't want to be identified. So, uh, at about, um, his late teens, uh, he found himself at an, uh, a, a military facility, um, that, that trains pilots, uh, in the fine art of instrument flying in the training instrument, uh, training airplane instrument training trainer. <laughs> I developed my instrument flying skills and began taking real flying lessons. Uh, I started at um, one of our U.S. Um, air route traffic control centers uh, as a controller trainee the day after uh, his U.S. Air Force enlistment, oh, military enlistment, enlistment was up. Uh, he was there for 31-plus years, uh, retiring as an air traffic supervisor with a background in ATC quality assurance and EEO. I'm not sure what that means, but... Uh, do you have any ideas what EEO is? Yeah. Uh, Electrical anyway. engineering officer. That's it. Uh, but then I also <laughs> had a fixed-wing multi-engine commercial instrument license, uh, a certain type of a business jet rate type rating, and he's owned several aircraft. Prior to oh. retirement and afterwards, I've been doing ad hoc flying in some other small business jets and turboprops. Um Soon he was working at a regional carrier uh, and moved to the left seat about a year before age kicked him out. After that, he was fortunate enough to be hired by um, a, uh, what, what would you fractional? call the yeah, fractional, fractional 135 operator? operator? Yeah. 
Well, this is kind of fun, actually. Um, I was there ten. <laughs> yeah, sounds like we're like it's a game show or something. Like, yeah. like whatever. It's like it's like one of those I? dating shows where you can yeah. only <laughs> say like certain things without giving everything away about your right. Then you're behind yeah. the curtain. Just to be clear, I'm not trying to get a date with this guy. Tim um, Van Ram says, "Oh, great, oh, another Delta pilot." Tim <laughs> Van Ram, another anonymous Delta pilot. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, where were we? Uh, he was there for ten years at the Fractional. He loved it. And he finally decided to hang it up when uh, this company was sold. And nowadays I can be found at my home airport with my like-minded friends tending to my aircraft and operating a couple of small businesses. He owns um, uh, an old... Um, um, couple small trainer aircraft. Trainer aircraft. Thanks. Uh, he says, when I'm not flying somewhere with my airport friends, I do a little contract flying in a small business jet. And um, and a small turboprop, or I guess it could be a naturally aspirated uh, as well if it's an older one, right? Of that last one there, the uh, Indian name. Rick stuff. might know better than me. Uh, I think. Actually. Yeah, I think that maybe I don't think they were always turboprops. I maybe they doesn't were. Matter. Sure. Doesn't yeah. Matter. Yeah. Doesn't it doesn't matter. Well, it matters to me, Liz. Um, <laughs> um, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> he's acquired about ten thousand. Hours of flying. That's, that's nice. pretty, pretty, uh, that's impressive. 31 years as an ATC. And, and uh, I told you uh, all that to tell you this. After listening to your discussion of the JetBlue tail strike at Hayden, Colorado, here are a few more items to add to the discussion. I'm willing to bet the captain of the JetBlue did not have a background operating at uncontrolled airports and possibly was never a flight instructor. As was pointed out, the time from saying they were ta starting taxi to being ready at the end was su suspiciously short. The Airbus crew demonstrated they were not building a picture mentally of what was going on at the airport. Yeah, we agree with that. I find this to be common with the unspoken belief that announcing what they're doing will make everyone everyone else give way. I believe the confusion between runway 28 and 10 uh, warranted a let's stop and sort this out in addition to the normal takeoff briefing. That would have been good advice. I was taught and practiced to always take a pause with low-vis takeoffs and at uncontrolled airports. A nice 30-second break with nothing to do but to think about uh, what you're about to do. Also, additional terrain and second-segment climb considerations are warranted in conjunction with what is considered normal in those areas. Long story short, they didn't have the, the picture, also called SA. And SA stands for situational awareness. And then if you don't have... SA, I like to say NASA. NA on the SA. Uh, the short clearance, that was me, uh, not, not this person. Uh, the short clearance void time was discussed, putting my ATC hat on now. I've encountered this since I started working on my instrument rating. Communication. Why that time was assigned should not be a consideration in the cockpit. Don't hesitate to say, we need more time, or I'll call when we are ready at the end, assuming you have two-way communication at that specific point on the airport. ATC works for you, and they are there to support your operation. So what if you take a five or ten minute delay? That's better than an unsafe operation. Once going into Aspen in the Lear, uh, I'm a, I guess I could say that, uh, I'm talking uh, and the other guy's flying. Uh, it's an instrument approach. I call the airport in sight, but still lots of clouds around. The tower immediately clears us for a visual. They wanted to launch an aircraft. And I said, unable, we cannot accept that. The guy with me nearly jumped out of his seat. He's thinking, God has spoken, air traffic control. Well, 
That's not God. And when God does speak, you'll know. I have also encountered Pilate saying, I don't want to make ATC mad. If you do, so what? They work for you. Believe me, ATC has too much on their plate to seek retribution on someone they think didn't play nice. At this point, let's look at the King Air crew. They demonstrated the mentality mentioned above. I've announced that about what I'm doing, get out of my way. Always go to plain language to get engagement. JetBlue, King Air XXX is opposite direction on the runway you're departing on. <laughs> we kind of mentioned this too. Like if they if you don't think they understand what's spell happening here, yeah, just yes, exactly. Spell it out. Uh, they sort of did that, but more forceful wording might have awakened the JetBlue crew. Also, turn on all your lights. You look down the runway you're about to take off on and see lights, guess what? 99.9999% will wait. I will submit. Uh, also submit the King Air crew had not built a mental picture of the operations going on. Is there a designated calm wind, uh, wind runway at Hayden? Was everybody else using runway 10, but they decided to land on runway 28 for their convenience? I think that's actually what was happening there. Uh, or turn that around. Was JetBlue using runway 10 because it's the general direction they wanted to go? No, just as, as an aside here, uh, remembering some of the details of this incident, uh, it, the airport in opera, I mean, the runway in operation at the time, everybody was using for takeoff and landing was one zero. And I think the King Air crew, when they saw the airport, decided, hey, you know, we're, we're perfectly lined up to land this direction. So let's just do that. Right. Am I right there, uh, crew? Am I getting that? Uh, I think confused? you're right there. Yeah. I, I my recollection is similar. That. Yeah. Uh, okay. Back to this anonymous person's uh, email. It was mentioned JetBlue should not have pressurized the aircraft or climbed above 10,000 feet. That presented them with a conundrum. They were in the middle of Colorado. Terrain is a consideration. We mentioned this as well. And they possibly did not have the option of staying at 10,000 feet had they thought about it. I wonder what the A320 QRH says if that isn't an option. It's generally acknowledged if you're an altitude and a pressurized aluminum tube in that part of the world and need to descend 17,000 feet is it until you figure out exactly where you are and what might be lower at the location going to your direction. Yes, we agree with that. Sounds like the cockpit crew discounted the cabin crew saying there was a tail strike or something like that. Shame on them or JetBlue. Do their cabin crews generally have a reputation of not providing valid input? In other words, uh, are also known as inadequate training? Or was the cockpit crew ahead of the aircraft and not hearing what was being offered. It's called Be Here Now. I've flown with cabin crew members that could tell me the sun rises in the east, but I would still check it because of their credibility or lack thereof. If that was the case, not good. But still going to flight level 310, knowing something is up, or did they know something happened? Apparently they did because they spoke to maintenance control. That being the case, there appears to be a general lack of knowledge of the seriousness of a tail strike. Does that go across the JetBlue pilot population? I bet it doesn't, actually. And I'm not sure that they didn't think it was serious. Um, I, I think there were a lot of other factors involved here. Um, anyway, and then there was a private note for me about um, the, the show. Um, he says, many thanks for listening to my extended offering. I feel there are discussions on APG that I could weigh in on. By combining my uh, air traffic control experience, part 121, and fractional jet experience. That is if all you think, uh, that is if all of you think what I offer is relevant. I'll leave that up to you if you want to reach out to me. Okay. Thank you again, uh, a Texas cheesehead, for, for uh, chiming in on our 
our analysis and coverage of that incident at Hayden. And I think several of the points that you mentioned here in your show, I mean, in, in your show, it's his show now, uh, in, in your uh, feedback, I think we did actually uh, mention, so. cover a bit here and there. So, But we do always welcome people's um you know, addition to whatever it is we say, especially if we, if you really think we got something wrong, uh, we want to know, you know, we're, we're human. It's nice too and, to have uh, the, um, just the validation from someone with experience on, you know, both sides there because there was an ATC component and the, uh, he's got experience on, in, on all of those levels, right? ATC, um, you know, that was the thing that we were not sure about. And we even stated yeah. it when we were covering it. We're, when we're not sure about the expect further clearance time and what would happen. I think Captain Nick mentioned, well, what would happen if they didn't make the, uh, expect departure yeah, clearance time? I've had know? no experience from operating mm -hmm. from. I used, to, I used to fly out of Maui a lot with, uh, and actually Huntsville sometimes on the 74 uh, when the when the towers closed. And it just, just goes, reverts back to your, you know, Cessna 152 days where you are making the calls that you need to make. And as far as the expect further clearance, I mean, the um, call for release time, um, that was very, very normal. It was ops normal for us out of Maui going back to the mainland because um, we would, you know, push back just as the tower was closing and you know, they want to get out of there, slide down the dinosaur's tail and go home. I don't blame them. And so by the time you were, you were at the uh, at the, um, uh, uh, the runway threshold there, uh, it was it was just you. Uh, you would talk to HCF, Honolulu Control Center, and then they would tell you, just let us know when you're ready. And then once you were ready, they would give you a whole free release time. And oftentimes, because we were, you know, I remember a time or two we ran long for some reason or another, you just call back and get a new whole free release time. And then you just call and tell them you're ready, and then they let you go. So, um, yeah. Now, I hope Boxes has an interesting point here. I hope Boxes mad. says uh, if they get mad, in the worst case, they start a podcast. <laughs> AT, the, the air traffic controllers, if you know that, that was. Oh, 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 the ATC. Oh, okay. I'm not familiar but, with but, any uh, ATC podcasts. Um, but, um, yeah, I know. <laughs> but the, uh, but the, the truth is just, just what, uh, what this, um, this person said, uh, ATC in the end works for you. They really do. They're there to provide yeah. a service. And, and this uh, is coming from somebody who did it for what, 31 plus years, he says. Exactly right. Or exactly she. Right. May, may, may have been a she. Right, right, and so they, they they work for you. So as as pilots, I mean, they're they they have, they have the big picture, and you should as well as a pilot. You need to have that situational awareness that we talked about. Um, but they 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 really do have the big picture because they're aware of, you know, primary targets with all the information tag, with all the trends, all the speeds, all the altitudes, all the things that we don't have in the cockpit as 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 pilots, and they really can you know see they have that you know. You know that 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 God's view of what's going on in your immediate vicinity that that you don't have the pilot, and so you need to rely on them um, to get the information in a timely manner, and also tell let them know uh, when you aren't able to do one thing or another because they need to come up with a with they may need to come up with an alternate plan of action if you can't comply. Um, and so I, I really liked what, what, what this person said about, uh, you know, ATC saying something and us pilots taking it as though God has spoken. And, and I, I do know that a lot of people do see things that way and it's not, that's, that's not it at all. Um, if, if you start going down that rabbit hole, you put yourself in a position where you might, uh, accept something that, uh, might put you, uh, in danger. And you definitely don't want to do that. And so, no, I, I agree 100%, Rick. But he, 
taught, it took me a long time before I had that confidence in the United States to take that attitude because there is a whole country of controllers who will stamp all over you given the chance. Mm. I've, I mean, I tell you, I, I have no problem telling ATC no. And I've told, I've, I've, just, <laughs> I've told ATC no over, you know, my, however many years I've been flying airplanes, I've told them no many, many, many times. And because uh, at the end of the day, I'm the one that's moving, you know, three, four, five miles a minute. They're sitting in their, in their ATC cab, you know, fine. And so if something happens, um, I'm yeah. the one that would possibly pay the ultimate price. And that's, that's not something that I'm comfortable with. I've spent too, too long in the ballpark to, mm. <laughs> waiting to be allowed out. You had probably the best experience ever with our uh, wonderful New York uh, Tracon uh, and uh, uh, airport uh, folks there. I mean, that doesn't get better than that. I mean, they're really nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, they they are absolutely very patient, very kind. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, Not sarcastic. And willing to uh, make allowances for the fact that you come from another country and you only visit the airport once in a while. So uh, you're not familiar with how it runs down there. So, yeah, you always feel very welcome. Yeah. And especially those uh, poor uh, uh, international slash foreign carriers that English is not their first language. Um, oh, yeah. They, yeah, they are they so get patient with that. With very gloves. patient. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that's kind of, that's, I mean, they don't treat us very well when we go over there. I mean, you've flown no, to China. No, 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 they don't. But so just, it seems I'm, like it's I'm even like, worse you know for those what? people. Just, uh, <laughs> I'd turn it up if I could. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, let's see. Okay, let's go. We're going to skip to eleven uh, just to make sure we get this done because they're kind of follow-ups on on uh, earlier shows. Uh, so this is from Steve, and he says, uh, "Hi Jeff and Captain Nick." So. Uh, Rick and Steph, don't listen to this. I'm going to take a break. Um, I think I need another beverage. So, oh, yeah, well, I, I was just kidding. You don't have time. to leave. <laughs> it's about uh, soccer. The, you uh, can't go. It's all about uh, in, soccer. In soccer, or what, you know, what the world calls football, uh, the fourth official's role, and we had a story about the uh, communication with the referees and making bad calls and that kind of thing. The four, And we were wondering what the fourth official does and what their role was. And he says, the fourth official's role is thankless. They're basically there in case one of the other officials gets, gets injured. However, to give them something useful to do, they have the following tasks to carry out. Number one, listen to every complaint that the managers have around every decision given against their team. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, two, ensure the managers don't get within one yard of the pitch and remain in their technical area. Three, manage substitutions, and four, hold up an illuminated board with the time to be added to each half of the match. That he sounds says, when hard. I, when I did my apprenticeship back in the 70s, I worked on uh, Tornado, Tornado, Jaguar, Harrier, BAE-146, and a tiny modification on Concorde. Uh, there's a non-flying Tornado at uh, White Waltham Aerodrome that I'm hoping to work on once I semi-retire this coming summer. Thank you for a wonderful podcast. Hope you enjoy your retirement. Thank you. And the camper arrives in time for summer. Yeah, better, darn it. Uh, kindest regards from Steve. So thanks for laying out what it is the, the fourth official does. Yeah, I kind of understand now. He's a hanger-on. <laughs> Poor chap. <laughs> He's there Poor just champagne. in case. 
fifth yeah, wheel. Indeed. Waiting in the fifth wings, wheel. just in yeah, case, right. but we'll give you some meaningless <laughs> tasks to accomplish while you wait. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's All true. right. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Steve. And let's move to 12 from Scott. Uh, it says, just to help keep everything at 50%. Uh-oh. Regarding the discussion on episode 600, our last episode, about the blue tugs hunting in packs, um, assumed it was a retirement event for a captain. It was actually the driver of the tug pushing the Delta plane that was retiring. And it was... Hi? Yeah, and then he just dot, dot, I don't know. What oh, dot, 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 I don't and know. And I asked him, he never got back. Okay, anyway. so we, we, did, we did contact him to see if maybe there was something cut out of his communication with us, and uh, he never got back with us. So sorry, Scott. But it was a, it was um, a tug driver retirement. But yeah, so it was a, that makes more sense now, that it was a tug driver retirement, and all those tugs were um, kind of helping celebrate Swarming. his, his last... And the tugs were tugging it here, and the tugs were tugging it there. Wait, does Scott tugging fly for Delta, here, perhaps? Tugging it there. Because um, maybe he was retiring. It may have been his retirement flight since he was saying no, it was... No, I think... I, I don't think they were so. pushing a Delta plane. Yeah, they were pushing a Delta yeah, plane. Yeah, it was a photo. Uh, and, uh, and they were. It was a ton an of actual, tugs. It was a video of them. Yeah, swarming. it was. It was, uh, a, it was a 330, I think it was, and it was a bunch yeah, of. Yeah, and tugs. it was uh, uh, KLM tugs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Skipple. Anyway, Interesting. Skipple. So Scott uh, says, longtime listener, first time caller. Yeah, that's what you always say when you call in talk radio show. Um. Well, you, you don't always have to say that, but everybody does. And I've said do. it a few times myself when I've called into talk shows. What, me? <laughs> Crazy. All right. Um, which one do we go to now, Liz? Six. Thank six you. Just got start going six. Do we have to do Sam Dawson? Okay. Again? You don't have to. Yeah. Hey, Sam. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Hope all is well. We didn't actually know. We we've, was we've Sam Bolog before. Yeah, I was going to so say, I don't, I don't think we've done we've, his feedback. I don't think we've done any Sam. And we've had this for a while, so sorry about that, Sam. Um, hope all is well. I was doing a London trip during your last show, so I don't know if this subject was covered. Two of Nick's favorite things in one airframe, a Boeing and a helicopter. Ah! <laughs> it's a Boeing helicopter. <laughs> a Chinook. I know why you saved this one now, so Rick could be here for the discussion, uh-huh. too. Uh-huh. Indeed. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so this is an article from AvWeb. China offers Taiwan officer $15 million for a Chinook helicopter. What? Yeah, from AvWeb. Taiwan has foiled a plot of the Chinese Navy to steal a CH-47 Chinook helicopter from the Taiwanese military, according to an indictment made public on Monday. China reportedly offered Taiwanese Army Lieutenant Colonel Xi $15 million to fly the heavy lift uh, chopper to a People's Liberation Army. who? Um, hang on. Uh, let me see if I can get this again. Lieutenant Colonel. <laughs> I thought it was no? Lieutenant Colonel Hershey. No, I don't think. Well, what, what, how, so we know how you would pronounce it, Nick. Uh, what, what do you think, Rick? Uh, give, give it a shot. I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you, Jeff. I'm with you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> You're not a brave person. Yeah. Come on, uh, Steph. What do you think? Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Sia. Ooh. No, no, that should be. Oh. In my uh, opinion. It's much too obvious. I think mine was the most accurate. Actually. I think so. Um, <laughs> anyway, they offered this lieutenant colonel, whose last name, surname, starts with an H, uh, $15 million to fly the heavy lift chopper to a People's Liberation Army Navy aircraft carrier 
that was to be carrying out drills near the island. What exactly put such a high price on a common utilitarian platform that first flew more than 50 years ago wasn't released. But the pilot or the plot involved uh, Lieutenant Colonel H uh, flying the helicopter at low altitude along the coastline to the Chinese communist carrier about 24 nautical miles away. According to the indictment, Lieutenant Colonel H initially rejected the plan as too risky, but the Chinese spies working him kept sweetening the deal. When they offered to give him a $1 million deposit, a monthly salary of $6,355, that seems insignificant to me in that, at this point, and uh, Thai visas for his family, he finally agreed. Intelligence officials were tipped to the plot and Lieutenant Colonel H and another Taiwanese officer who acted as a go-between were arrested. I feel pained, too, to have discovered a case like this, and those allegedly involved must be dealt with according to the law, according to Chu Kuo Ching. Nice. <laughs> so I know why that a lot of people listen to the show to hear me pronounce, try to pronounce. I don't know. That's, that's the big mystery here. They were willing to pay a lot of money. I wonder if there was a bit of kit on board, like um, uh, a secure radio or something, some kind of IFF that they wanted to get I don't know, but I was under of. the impression that the Chinese came up with everything on their own. Apparently it's not. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. And we copy them. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. just yeah. taking right. back what they already developed. Gotcha. I think I Ooh. saw uh, several Chinooks uh, listed for sale on helicopter um, uh, magazine. Helicopter, uh, helicopter Trader? Helicopter Trader, yeah. trade, trade, trade a helicopter, like trade a plane, but. Tra- trade a copter, yeah. trade a copter, trade a, trade a copter. That's it, or eBay even. <laughs> so, uh, what's the right. going price then, Jeff? I don't know. I mean, I've been in the market. For, I don't know. Um, I, I was also surprised to find that uh, the Chinese spies were able to uh, uh, grant Thai visas. It's not even the same country. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Last time I checked, yeah. it's not. Hmm. Hmm. Well, they're probably fake. They what's probably not in cooperation with the Thai, <laughs> Thailand people. Yeah. Um, Were yeah. they confusing Thai with Taiwanese? Maybe. I don't know. It's like mm. Austria and Australia mm. and yeah. Sweden and mm. Switzerland, commonly confused countries. Yeah. Anyway, did uh, it didn't happen, did it? I mean, they they got nope. arrested before the plan they was it, foiled. So. Yes, yeah, I guess we'll never know. Hmm. Uh, well, I have uh, some audio feedback from ooh. Rachel, and she wants to uh, say this. Hey, Captain Jeff and crew, uh, airline enthusiast, not a pilot, not anything to have to do with. <laughs> airlines at all except that i fly but i love your show and um i wanted to say on the epipen um issue that you guys dealt with on a recent episode um as a person who does carry an epipen with me everywhere i go (laughs) for a small shellfish allergy um i highly recommend like everybody have an EpiPen. I mean, it's important. And like, that's one of the most important things that I pull out of my purse whenever I sit on like 
a first row or something where I can't set my purse right by me or something, if I have to put it up in the bin, I pull out my EpiPen. So, uh, just so you know, like as someone with an allergy and that someone, like I am someone that like flies a lot and just loves you. Uh, yes, I think it would be incredible if you have EpiPens as expensive and controversial as they are. Thank you, Rachel, for, hmm. for that feedback. Um, good, you made some good points there. And, um, uh, so we were just discussing if your allergy is to, uh, shellfish in general or just small shellfish. Well, Tim Van Ram has a comment <laughs> Uh, it's it's shellfish not to carry one according to tim van ram <laughs> uh we're just being silly that was good feedback uh, thank you rachel i mean I we really great. appreciate you out there we love you listening too. and we love it when people send in audio feedback like rachel because we get to hear her voice which is pipe. great she is speak pipe. and you and need to fly with my old airline because we had epipens in our emergency kit i know i know oh. i mean they're yeah, setting we they're had, being the we model had a really, really we were a really good air, airline we were cool. You were. Until you left. They still are. No idea. As far as, as, far as we know. <laughs> I think they're a lot better now since 2019. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wounded. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. You know I'm kidding. I love you, man. Uh, in fact, uh, I shared an article with the crew here uh, uh, at Delta News Net or whatever they call it that uh, 10 years it's been uh, since uh, Delta yeah. and Virgin uh, Atlantic uh, created their nice I remember nice when that started, we used to swap cabin crew. So we would have, I don't know, four or five yeah, uh, Delta, Delta cabin crew on our aircraft. And um, it was absolutely brilliant because – we used to let them come and ride in the flight deck for takeoff and landing, and they said Ooh. they weren't allowed to do that with Delta. No, uh, we didn't but, trust them. And us. they thought it was great fun. <laughs> yeah. And they always came out with us and, uh, you know, had a yeah. good time. It was, uh, it was Wait a minute. They couldn't have been Delta flight attendants then. They That's were. Uh, they no. were all very attractive. <laughs> and, um, yeah, very keen and eager to enjoy the delights of, you know, our country and wherever we went. Were they put in the back of the airplane for CG purposes? No, nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, shit. Jeff, did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, that's from a cargo pilot. Uh, somebody needs to get uh, Captain yeah. Nick his medication. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Moving right along. Number Thank HR you. taking notes, uh, furiously. Uh, <laughs> furiously or seriously? Two HR dings. Yeah, I know. You're, you're on thin ice, ad- mister. This or is, is it me that's not a- on thin ice? <laughs> I don't know. This is also a, a <laughs> commenting not, on the last Not the Delta Planet attendant, I hope. Okay. Let's uh, move on to this piece of feedback from El Spoloto. Uh, hello, Captain Jeff and crew. Happy New Year and congratulations to the crew for wrestling this podcast equivalent of a Lancaster bomber missing a certain pilot, thoroughly funyoned by German flak, 
50% of the engines producing gibberish and the remaining 50% accuracy <laughs> somehow keeping it aloft as it limps over its equivalent to the English Channel. The 600 oh. mark. Bravo. <laughs> Thank you. We made it. Yeah, yes. I'm, do I'm doing my best to sort of produce a picture in my mind of what he's describing, and I've completely lost it. I, I got <laughs> I it, and it's me. I think it's a compliment. We all, Appreciate you're all going to get medals for that flight, I think. Yeah, and I, I love the his use of funyun, you know, funyun, yeah, yeah, uh, the verb uh, t version. To um, yeah, verb, he verbified it. I love it. Um, all right, uh, Captain Jeff, congratulations for making it to retirement and not dying. No, he didn't put that. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'll able be able to pull off the same feat flying today's rosters which ring out every last hour the regulations allow. Plus, I've got another 25 years of it. Ooh, uh, that is if the retirement age is not raised again. Oh, I guarantee it will be. <laughs> so you got more than oh, 25 yeah, yeah. years, sir. Oh, yeah. my age. Let's call it 27 and a half seat. years at least. Mm -hmm. Right. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. uh, going back to AP, uh, APG 600, you questioned uh, about why the world's busiest international flight between... Um, Kuala Lumpur and Singapore took so long. I used to fly this route a lot, and the length of the flight was actually different depending on the airline. I used to depart Singapore Airlines uh, 117 from Kuala Lumpur and land before them in Singapore. Wait, I used to depart after Singapore Airlines Flight 117 from Kuala Lumpur and land before them in Singapore. Why? Well, I flew for a low-cost carrier, and hanging around was not our thing. Uh, it was the uh, Southeast Asian version of Southwest Airlines. Mm -hmm. I guess, yeah. Direct. Uh, where, Direct. Whereas the customers on the Singapore Airlines expected to be fed and watered. So whilst we click, quickly climbed to roughly 29,000 feet and cranked up the speed down the Malacca Strait, Singapore Airlines would be wafting along at 21,000 feet, 240 knots, to ensure a full meal service could be completed. Oh, and wine. Quite right, too. I tell you, out of all the airlines around the world I've ever flown, the best service, even better than the ones in the Middle East, has been Singapore Airlines. So mm. you definitely want to be wine and dine in Singapore Airlines. It's and their flight attendants phenomenal. aren't in the back. No yeah, CG and those, yeah, the, the, yeah, even if they have flight attendants in the back, they're not going to do anything to the CG. Yeah, exactly. Um uh, I've never had the uh, experience uh, with Singapore, but maybe one of these days I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. do it. it uh, is additionally, good. if Singapore was operating Bucket on the two zero runways, the most common arrival from the northwest would require us to fly the long way around the island, anti-clockwise, if you will. On a rare day, we got the more desirable shot across the northern part of the island, descending with hair on fire, followed by a quick slow to drop into, I always get this wrong, Changi, Changi, Changi? Changi. Changi, Changi, mm -hmm. Changi. Um, Changi. No, no, Changi. no G. Changi. Uh, a soft G. <coughs> Changi. No G. Changi. Well, there's a G Changi. there. Yagi. Just a very. Uh, okay. The G is silent. silent. G. Okay. Changi. I'm not saying the G. Changi. No, I hear a G in there. It's a it's a different kind of G. It's not the hard G. It's, it's like Rangi, but Changi. Yeah, exactly. Okay, this is fun. Um, <laughs> Here, here, this is the way we're going to do this. Um, when I get to that name, then one of you say it. Now, who's going to say it? Steffi. Steph. Okay. <laughs> I can't speak. Well, that's a good thing. On a rare day, we got the more desirable shot across the northern part of the island, descending with hair on fire, followed by a quick slow to drop into... 
Changi Airport. Nice. On day like this, I could get the leg done in just under 40 minutes, but Kuala Lumpur normally launches off 3-2, so we always started pointing the wrong way. On a serious note, you guys are my favorite podcast. Yay! Woohoo! And Ain't that opposing bases. <laughs> even more so than those guys who hang out with penguins. <laughs> a reference to that ATC podcast. Uh, on a serious note, you guys... Oh, I just read that. Uh, I, I, I love it so it much, I'm going to read it again. <laughs> exactly. uh, blue skies and tailwinds. Well, headwinds, ideally, for the landing bit. Yep, El Spilato. Thank you, sir. Always nice to hear from you and uh, and hear your uh, experiences. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Interesting insight. Makes sense. I'm glad uh, we have some better insight to that one. Hmm. Yeah. Still kind of find it hard to believe that they would do that, but I guess they're, they're special. I tell you, man, Singapore Airlines, definitely it's a bucket list item. You got to do yep. it. All right. Just like riding on a freight, uh, Acme giant 747. That was on, that, that was on been, my bucket uh, list. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been something else. <laughs> Scratch that one off. Uh, all right. Um, let's see. Is this it? No, it's, we have more. Two okay. More. Two more. Uh, Chris, sent in this feedback. Looking good morning. Advice. He's looking for advice. Oh, he's looking for advice. Oh, good. Uh, good morning, ladies and gents. Happy New Year. My name's Chris, and I'm a CFII out of Southern California. For those of you who don't uh, understand what a CFII is, is a certified flight instructor with an instrument. Uh, so it's basically, uh, you can you can teach private, commercial, and instrument ratings. Ah, there you go. Uh, in out of Southern California. I'm beginning to approach 1,000 total hours in Piper Warriors and Archers. I went down the career rabbit hole the other day and was surprised to find the minimum requirements for mainline FOs are not that much different than regionals. I'm already building seniority through a cadet program for a regional. I know seniority isn't the only thing. It's everything. Mm -hmm. My mother has over 30 years at a mainline uh, as a flight attendant and have been introduced to several current captains I may fly with at some point before the big 1500. I want to know your opinions about covering the difference in minimum requirements, like ATP written, uh, CTP 50, uh, so AMEL. Um, multi-engine land. Uh, multi-engine land, okay, uh, et cetera, uh, out of pocket, and making the gamble to jump straight to mainline FO instead of regional. Of course, the regional would fund the rest of my training, but I can't help but think that the gamble might be worth it to establish better seniority down the road and lead to better quality of life. Any feedback is greatly appreciated. Keep up the good work on the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the inspiration. All right. So glad that we're an inspiration to you and others out there. And now I'm going to probably not say much about this myself because I'm not sure I'm, I have the... The, the credentials to, to do so. Um, but maybe, I don't know, Steph, you're probably more in touch with people that are in I'll this phase of their career. In uh, touch, not like a part of this myself, yeah. um, but certainly I'm on a number of, you know, a number of social media groups where this topic is discussed frequently, especially this very specific situation of, hey, I'm approaching my ATP airline transport pilot certification here in the United States minimums, 1,500 hours, and then there's some additional um, minimums for restricted versus unrestricted, and I will probably get some of those wrong, but Chris kind of touched on a few of them. One is 50 hours of multi-engine, or 50 hours or 25 hours, uh, 
I think 25 hours for the unrestricted. I could be wrong on that. Like I said, don't hold me to these things, but somewhere in that range. And then there's some uh, cross-country requirements and night requirements and uh, things along that line. So 1,500 hours is kind of that, that um, uh, total bucket number of hours that you're looking for with a few um, other specified uh, qualifications within there as well. Um, the other things that he mentions, he mentions uh, the ATP written test and the ATP CTP course, which is airline, let me see if I can get this right, airline transport pilot um, uh, certification training program. So um, a number of years ago, the process of getting your ATP um, license changed a little bit. And now there's this course that you go through, which is basically a week-long course with a lot of um, uh, basically doing some groundwork, some fundamental work into um, they, this is the FAA acknowledging that there's a pretty significant jump between being a commercial pilot and then flying uh, as an airline transport pilot under 121 carrier, 1, uh, 135 um, jets handle differently. So it's an intro to some of those types of things. There's a lot of studying and uh uh, work that you have to do on your own before you get there. It's not just, hey, come to the course and you'll pass your written test. You're studying before that. You go to the course. It actually does involve some simulator time, um, as yeah, far it's, as I'm aware. It's, it's interesting because I actually had to go through that. Uh, oh, did you? I, yeah, yeah, because I um, I didn't. So when I came back um, to fly out of the States, um, I only had a commercial multi-instrument license here in the States. I had ATPs in Ecuador and Chile. And the November registered aircraft that I flew, I flew them through what's called an SPPA, Supplemental um, Special Purpose Pilot Authorization, sorry. And that that you're allowed to fly the you know a certain number of N-registered aircraft that are on the off-spec for the airline ba based on your foreign license. So I never actually flew with an American ATP. So that so when I came yeah, so when I came back to fly out of the states, I had to go through CTP training, and it, it, it it's just that stuff. You're right; you have to go. There's there's a there's um it's about a week, week and a half, I think it was, mm -hmm. and then uh, there is a lot of um, emphasis and focus on the handling characteristics of uh, jet aircraft um, at altitude versus um, you know yeah. flying at at you know smaller airplanes you know at, at lower altitudes because it's 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 night and day. It really is, and a lot of times uh, these pilots. Like this, this um, gentleman here, they're going to find themselves, um, uh, you know, at the controls of a of a, of a jet aircraft, and and that's a realm uh, that they've never been exposed to up until that point, and so that that's why this is this is so so important. So yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, you're good. Thanks. I, I didn't realize that you'd gone through the ATP oh, yeah. CTP yeah, yeah. course. So that's at, that's uh, good. Pan Am Academy in Miami. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So yeah, it's typically Del run Delta through. Delta does a, it here in Atlanta. I've met yep. up with several listeners who have been going through it when they. You know, we're here in Atlanta, and, and uh, anyway, go ahead. Oh, yeah, and, so, and, okay. and before I finish that, the, the interesting thing is that uh, for me, um, I've I've never taken an ATP check ride on an actual airplane. Every time I've gotten an ATP license, and you know, the one in Chile, Ecuador, and the one here in the states, it was always as part of my type rating check ride. Um, at, at the end of, of the training. So that's something else to, to consider there. You don't necessarily have to go to a school to get your ATP. If you have your ATP, CTP taken care of and you have a valid written, uh, a lot will check with, you know, your your prospective employer. But a lot of times, um, and this I think this is the norm as of late, a lot of times uh, these airlines will, will actually give you your ATP rating along with your type rating. 
Yeah. Uh, but you'd have to check on that. No, you're, you're exactly right on that, Rick, um, as far as I'm aware and knowing people, you know, who have gone through it recently and talking to them. So as close to, um, you know, not my own firsthand knowledge, but secondhand knowledge from folks who have recently gone through it. That's a very typical course. Um, a, a kind of a, if you think about just different paths and uh, some have more resistance, some have less resistance. One of the lesser resistance is to meet those minimums for your ATP interview be hired conditionally by a regional airline. Chris is kind of alluding to some of this. Um, a lot of the regional carriers will uh, fund your ATP CTP program for you. And then at the end of that week, you take your ATP written course, and then you go into training with the airline and you do, you know, all of your in-dock, your ground, your systems work, your simulators. And uh, at the end of that, it, there's a couple different ways. Sometimes it's um, Gosh, what is it? AQP is one mm, pathway. And AQP. then the other. So basically stage checks along the way to meet your, to get your um, uh, ATP certificate and your type rating versus kind of going through everything and then having a formal check ride at the end that still exists as well. Um, so most regionals will be kind of that pathway. And that's uh, probably the main way that folks are getting into airline flying. Um, what he's kind of referencing to is that there is a lot of discussion out there from some folks because the hiring environment has been so dynamic over the past couple of years. Um, not only regionals, but, um, you know, some of the low cost carriers here in the United States versus even mainline, uh, legacy carriers, um, where, uh, you know, there's, there's that shortage we've been talking about for a long time has, has been here. So some of those, um, requirements have been accelerated a little bit or people aren't waiting nearly as long to kind of go through the traditional pipeline of, you know, you get hired by a regional, you're there as a first officer for a couple of years, and then you upgrade to captain. And then after you've put in some time there, often, you know, far beyond what the, the hiring minimums might be, then you start putting in applications at a, you know, uh, Southwest Spirit Frontier or mainline, uh, you know, American Delta United. Um, but because that's been accelerated a little bit, um, there have been instances where folks with, you know, who have met their hours and other requirements have paid for their own ATP CTP course out of pocket. So they already have that done does make you, you know, then the airline that you're applying to doesn't have to pay for that or take that time out of your training schedule. Um, you know, do things to get their unrestricted ATP. So if I think if you're, uh, don't quote me on this, but a uh, specific example might be you don't have all of your night cross-country time that would fall under the requirements for an unrestricted ATP license. Once you have that, um, then you remove that restriction. But if that's already unrestricted, perhaps that makes you a more um, attractive candidate to uh, uh, an airline that might be your ultimate goal as opposed to um, one that's more of a stepping stone. There's a lot of debate on that, um, you know, and I think things are changing still a lot in terms of the hiring environment. So, um, you know, another 500 hours to go isn't very much at all, but things could change greatly in that time frame. Um, it's hard to give specific advice to one specific individual, but um, probably going to be looking towards, uh, you know, do as much as you can to have as many of those requirements satisfied by the time you get to 1500 hours. I don't necessarily think that you need to right now work on ATP, CTP stuff, you know, get towards your hours goals first. So bottom line this um what is what's the what's the risk or downside of just trying to get all the requirements necessary to get on with a with a with a major and well, not you a may, regional so the hiring environment may change you may spend a lot of your own money 
working on these requirements and then still find yeah. yourself not being able to meet the and it might not be that you don't meet the minimum requirements because on paper you may meet the minimum requirements but it depends on the demand for the airline hiring pilots at that time if they have more pilots than they need or their application pool is quite deep they're going to be looking at folks who have far surpassed those minimums that are published to hire okay so let's say he goes this route um, and then he can't get on with a major and he could always go back to the regional system, right? It's just that he's out, out of pocket, that out extra of pocket, money. out of pocket costs. That's the, you know, there's some regionals now that have training contracts. Um, one mm-hmm. in particular comes to mind where it's stay for five years or otherwise you owe. So that would be know, a negative figure, of doing the regional thing. It could be a negative, you know, um, I don't know if more are going to go that route as well. Um, uh, trying to think there was another, there, I, I was, just today reading someone who had very similar questions to this. And I was trying to go through all of the uh, pros and cons that were kind of given and uh, to be weighed there. And, um, you know, this particular person who had had posted the feedback very similar to Chris um, had been contacted by one of the ultra low cost, or they had been in contact with one of the low cost carriers who said, well, go pay for your own ATP CTP and then we'll look at your application. Uh, But that wasn't a guarantee of anything. Right. It was just, if you have it, oh, it's a we guarantee might consider, that you'd spend money. <laughs> it's a guarantee that you will spend money on it, but it's not a guarantee that you're still going to be a competitive applicant because you right. have no way of knowing who's in their application pool at the time. Right. So I guess what I'm hearing from you is that, I mean, both, both options are viable at this point in time because, but everything is very dynamic Correct. and it could change. And so there's risk involved in going either of those directions. Yep. Yep. And there's, there's probably not, or? there's probably not a right answer to, you know, Chris is asking for feedback. I don't know that there's necessarily a right or wrong answer here. I think some well, of it just, depends on why what. Why don't we do this? Why don't we get a, see if I can find a coin? <laughs> no, it depends. <laughs> I mean, do, you know, so anyone who finds themselves in this, in this, cause like I said, this is a hot topic of conversation. You see this question come up all the time. Um, the advice I have is figure out what your goals are. What type of flying do you ultimately want to be doing? You know, is it, um, would you want to be in the, do you think you want to be in the airline world? Do you want to uh, be flying 121? Do you want to be doing cargo stuff eventually? Do you want to be doing fractional things? Are you more of a business? Je- and you might not know those answers right now um, because you have a thousand Well, I mean, I, I think, I think the fact that he's, that he's looking at foregoing the regionals and going straight to the airlines tells me that he wants to, you know, make 121 sure. at a major, his, sure. his, um, his go-to. And I think the, the way things are right now, as of January the 5th, 2024, dude, go for it. Just take the money. Yeah. Do the thing, get it out of the way, get on the roster right away. Because it's, when, when things go south, who knows when, but when they go south, the first ones to go are the ones at the bottom of the list. And so get yourself to where you want to be ASAP um, mm-hmm. and and then go from there. That's, yeah, that's when you start out with your career, uh, you know, it's, it's the number of people that were hired after you were. That's the most important thing. And then you mm-hmm. get to be mid-career and later in your career, it's all the people that were hired before you, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that, that is the big, the big concern. Um, right. yeah. yeah. I think the, you know, the biggest risk is just being out the money exactly. potentially at this point. It doesn't, I think it, there's so many, like I said, it changes so often the potential is yes. there to be hired, you know, with just minimums on paper. But mm-hmm. We have to make a point here from uh, one of our live audience members, I Hall Boxes. He says, if you're an APG listener, you're always a competitive applicant. 
Boom, baby. Put that yeah. on your on your Although, resume. Honestly, though, it'll, I, it'll I be would say day one. Chris, I, I, I wouldn't mention uh, APG if I were you. Just just saying. <laughs> okay. Well, so. I probably haven't answered your question, but you were looking for feedback, and I think. Um, no, I think that was good discussion on. There's just a lot of a lot of variables, a lot of considerations. Yeah. 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 And we can't. And uh, wait a minute. Let me uh, ask our lawyers if if. We were okay with all that. We should get one of those. Uh, we should hire one of those fast talking guys that uh, <laughs> that, that 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 works yeah. on uh, you know medicine right. commercials. Yes. Right. Past results. Uh, no. Future result. What is it with the thing I'm talking about? Past, past results. Past results made or no prediction of future. Returns. Past results are no um, guarantee for future returns. Performance. Returns or something or performance. performance. Yeah. 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 It's something like that. I don't know. We're going to have to talk with our lawyers, of course. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but. Oh. Um, yeah. Anyway, good luck, Chris. Yeah, good luck, Chris. Um, thanks for keep us, posing keep us the posted. question. And you're, you're not the only one out there, you know, listening to the show that probably is, you know, trying to, you know, juggle all the pros and cons with uh, the various, uh, uh, you know, options for where, where to proceed with your career. Sometimes it comes down to timing and maybe who you know and who you make connections with, too. So absolutely right. networking is important i mean if you're good looking and you tell them you would listen to the apg then it's a sure you're you're in told you for sure yeah <laughs> one last item okay Number one 10. last item from uh jonathan uh dear captain jeff and crew it's been quite a while since my last feedback but episode 599 plus an end of year flight got me thinking and led me to decide it was time to write in and, and I'm sorry, and led me to decide it was time to write in. First, though, I want to take a minute to congratulate Captain Jeff on his long, thank you, uh, professional airline pilot career. Yep, 35 years. Uh, what a gift to be able to do something you love for such a long time and get paid for it, for sure. Uh, and for that final retirement to come right when you publish your 600th episode of APG, Feels like such a happy coincidence that surely someone has been looking out for you all along. Yeah, I know. I know that's true. Second, I want to. I wanted to respond to the feedback in episode five ninety nine, where someone disparaged the getting to know you section of the podcast. I could not disagree more. The GTKY or GTKU uh, section is what helps this podcast feel less like a podcast and more like a community meeting. Your individual lives, meetups with community members, and other milestones are what sets this apart. I hope you know that, and I wanted to make sure you didn't think everyone else felt like that feedback you received in 599. Maybe it's the journalist in me. Yes, I'm one of those people, but I'd never mix up an Airbus 737 for a Boeing A380 or an Embraer <laughs> CRJ900. <laughs> Duh. Never. <laughs> never. But it's the stories of people and people's lives that connect with me more than uh, more than a, more aviation news. So I say, keep it up. We will, uh, Jonathan, for sure. Uh, last, a question. I wondered if you could explain one little bit of aviation safety minutia for me. As I was flying back from Bozeman on New, Year, New Year's Day. I heard the typical pre-landing briefing from the cabin crew. Seatbacks and tray tables up, seatbelts fastened, aisle armrests lowered. Yes, yes, we have all heard it a hundreds or thousands of times at this point. But why the aisle and only aisle armrests lowered? 
I understand the part about seat backs and tray tables and of course the seat belts, but why do the aisle armrests need to be lowered? Can you sort me out? Happy New Year, happy retirement, happy 600th episode to all. Jonathan in Minneapolis. Thank you, Jonathan. He's He's been a very frequent um, feedbacker, uh, contributor uh, for, for many years. So thank you very much for that, Jonathan. And um, so um, I maybe some of you here on the crew know the answer to it. I, I didn't. I, I never really, I guess I never really thought about it. I have heard this announcement before, but I kind of thought the same thing. Like, well, why? Why do we have to? So I asked a friend of mine, um, actually the son of my choir director, uh, who's an Acme Airlines flight attendant. Um, and he said, the purpose of having the aisle armrest down is to prevent anyone falling over into the aisle in the event of a crash, which can cause further injury as well. By having no obstructions in the aisle, it heightens the chances for a smoother evacuation since every second counts. And I think, oh, well, that makes sense, actually. That's why I'm suspect. It makes sense. That's interesting, but because so the other day I flew from uh, Sydney to uh, Hong Kong on the 350, beautiful airplane, by the way, I must say. Um, and um, the I was sitting in the, in the business class seat up front, and these seats are these you know these pod kind of seats where it's you know you're kind of like in a cocoon, but obviously you're 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 sitting upright now for takeoff and landing, and they and, and it has. Uh, on on the edge of the seat, the side that faces the aisle, it's got this part that pops up that you can use as an armrest, um, and they tell you to put that one down. Mm-hmm. Yep. Take off and landing. That's on other airlines that have similar pod configurations. Did your did your seat have a shoulder seat belt? No. No, just a lap belt. Just a lap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking if it had the shoulder seat belt, that could you know keep you in your seat. But so I don't know. Do they have hidden hidden airbags or airbags that Uh, keep you in your seat? No, it was just it was just a standard uh, standard lap belt, and I can't remember because I've blown many a time another pod type uh, uh, setups where you do have the 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 I guess the shoulder the one that comes goes across your your body the crossbody one with an airbag in it, but this one in particular did not. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Well, great, Rick. Now we thought we knew the answer, but now we're... we don't. <laughs> we don't. Mystery still unsolved. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, will keep listening. Hopefully, somebody will <laughs> come up with a definitive answer regarding all this. Um, and and thanks again for well, some, someone the very in the community nice... maybe knows. Oh, somebody in the community might know. You think? Maybe. I doubt it. Nah. <laughs> oh. Our community. I'm always nah. an optimist. Yeah. So good. Though. Someone knows. Someone knows. There All might right, be someone who works for uh, a seat manufacturer, though, who listens. You never know. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that reminds me. Speaking of um, safety uh, PAs, uh, the uh, the point was made. Uh, one of the many many things I've been reading about this accident that we started off the show with today. Uh, in in Japan, uh, regarding Japan Airlines um, safety um, briefings or whatever you want to call it, is that they're always very serious. They're not like the tongue in cheek and fancy or entertaining humorous kind of things. It was mm-hmm. yes, yeah, not humorous. It's just like this business, is it, all business. and this is all business. And maybe that was also maybe a factor in 
why it was such a successful. And in fact, I saw something like a little clip from it, or maybe it was just a picture of the actual um, slide and people taking um, their carry-on luggage with them on the slide. And it clearly shows that if you do that, it's going to likely rip the slide mm-hmm. and then and high heeled shoes and you know yeah other exactly and, and another thing i've noticed from flying different airlines all over the world um the length of the announcement itself i've noticed that in japanese airlines because i've flown both a and a and japan airlines um and i compare that contrast that with other airlines around the world more western type airlines you, you sit through it through one of those on a, any western airline it's like you're watching a movie it's mm-hmm. very, very overproduced. Whereas the ones, uh, the, the the ones that we're referring to, to are very point, short, down. to the point, no overproduction. This is it. This is how you get out. These are the exits. That's it. Serious yeah. Stuff. Listen so, to us. We want your attention. This mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. And just so, get it all out yeah, of the way. I, I must admit, I've never been a fan of um, doing a safety. A video in the form of a cartoon or in the yeah, form exactly. of, a, exactly of right. a movie with stars mm-hmm. in there that detract from the message they're trying to get across. And I'm Precisely. hoping that this might end yeah. a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Okay, let's wrap this baby up. It's time to wrap this baby up. Thank you, uh, Liz. So uh, let's see. As always, we love to point you to our website, airlinepilotguy.com. By the way, if you, uh, as I've noticed lately <laughs> that some browsers, uh, if you don't have an HTTPS um, address, it gives you this dire warning that you're about to, terrible things are about to happen ah, to you. Ah, shark-infested um, custard. Yeah, and I need, to, I need to fix that with our website because ours is still a non-HTTPS site. But there's no, we don't take any of your information like credit card data or anything no information actually so i've well, never you do been now you're retired to concern but yeah now i will now that i'm retired thank you liz oh <laughs> i wasn't supposed to say that darn it okay you gotta yeah, we'll fund your out. retirement somehow Jeff. <laughs> exactly but uh anyway so so have, have no fear you could but uh, eventually maybe one of you it geek people will help me figure out how, how to switch it to well, now they won't help you call later. them geeks come on Jeff. No. well no geek that's a good thing okay well, geeks of better than nerds. Geeks are uh, good okay thing. yeah okay geeks. okay yeah i i consider myself a geek and i'm yeah, proud I'm, of I'm a geek. huge geek i'm an avid yeah. geek. everybody knows it <laughs> yeah proud all right uh so uh, anyway check out the website needs. social meds uh social media and uh dr seth your voice is back yeah You're i'm on. not gonna just Plop it off on someone else like I did last time. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. I just didn't have it in me, but today I do. So let's talk about Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. You can also head over to X, formerly known as Twitter. Our graphics department hasn't updated that and we'll, we'll ask yeah. them to yeah, we'll later. later. Probably never, <laughs> but you know what we're, you know what we're referring to. We are at APG crew uh, and you can find our individual, uh, handles pinned to the top of that page um if you want to check out captain nick's lovely uh artwork for each show every week please see that on instagram where we are apg crew um should you desire to take a deep dive into the community um you can do that via slack um Hillel, i think is he was here earlier from was, the shower and he was so, in the shower earlier yes. so i think that he's just going to walk over here he's already finished all that stuff he's just going to tell us about slack APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. 
To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel, so much for managing, starting it. Uh, the, I've been visiting uh, Slack a lot more lately because, you know, I have nothing to do because I'm not flying airplanes. you're a slacker. Because I'm a slacker for sure, yeah. All right. And uh, so, uh, Liz, come here. Make yourself visible to oh. all of us. And there she is. Thank you so there much for all the is. hard work that you do. On every show, and I mean, you think that you know I'm just making that stuff up, and it's just meaningless. Well, it's not. No, I'm making it you up. Mean, no, 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 no. You mean so much to all of us here. Thank you for all the hard work you put in. We appreciate My it. My pleasure, as always. Yeah, brilliant. And, great to have you uh, all on today. Great to have you with us, Rick. Um, long you, time no see, you. and uh, and by the way, you're looking fabulous. Uh, I love the uh, the new equipment you're using. Oh, I thought you were talking about me. No, I'm not talking about you. Looking You've always looked marvelous. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's working I out great. I never saw it, Rick's new equipment. Can we all have well, a look? That's, a, that's a APG uh, Live APG after, after Show. You have yeah, to put your credit hours. card red line into the uh, website. But that's the way we access. make a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. That's the HTTPS site right there. Yes. All right. Okay. APG only fan. fan <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that would be sad. Okay. But thanks for that suggestion, Liz. That would be part of the social needs. <laughs> exactly. Did you see where our technical group has already updated that uh, X thing? Oh, oh very good. Years. I was impressed. I, yeah. I did it. Uh, I know somebody put Twitter slash X in it. And then I, I took, but I took out the Twitter. You part. went it's just all the X. way. I, I went all the way. I'm over it. Don't have to okay. say formally Twitter anymore. Come okay. on, just people. X. Everybody knows right. it. It's X. Let's sign off. All right, let's sign off. Um, okay, so I say. Wishing you all clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. See you next time, everybody. Bye, everybody. Until next time. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy